Hello, and welcome to the Dad and Sons podcast. I'm your host, Matt Visual. <laughs> Can I take that now? <laughs> I'm your host, Matt Visual. And I have my two lovely co-hosts, Liam and George. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic. Fantastic. Ever so slightly underneath fantastic. Whoa. Uh, that's still pretty good, all, all things considered. So above average is what yeah. you're trying above to say. Average. Above average. Yeah, above, above average. average, but my <laughs> gosh darn am I tired. Like a, like an 8.8 on the GameSpot scale. Ooh. No, it's more it's more like a, an IGN 7.3.2 and a half. Ooh, yikes. Whoa. 7.3.2 to the 20.5 power forever is a, a wishy-washy one. Yeah, it's one of those where it has bullet points at the bottom, but it has more bad bullet points than good bullet points. If you're, if you're just a notch <laughs> under excellent, I, I guess that means you got some good news to, to start with. I played Sekiro. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good news. That's, that's good news. It's entirely my good news. <laughs> Sekiro. Um, so we delayed a week after getting back from GDC. Everyone was really tired, and there was not a lot to talk about, uh, except for this fancy new game everyone's playing. I mean, there was. Me and Matt were playing it. We- I- yeah, and I want to say something. Like, I had, like, an anxiety attack. I was like, shit, I wanted to say how much I like Red Dead Redemption now. Because I did <laughs> I told I was like, eh, Red Dead Redemption is, like, only okay, and it's boring. You turned? And yes, and I actually loved what they did with Arthur later in the game. Yes. I loved what they were going for. It's something completely different from what they did with GTA. And I they showed some restraint when it came down to the goofiness of the story, which I thought was interesting. And they did it, it they did a more serious story that which I thought wouldn't appeal to people, but apparently it did, which I'm I'm happy about. Like when you reach a certain part of the game and you notice that like the world is changing around them. It's exactly like the theme, like the, the, the world is changing and you can't just do what, whatever you used to do now. Like you have to change with the world or die. And it, it's, I, I thought that was really cool. I thought that was really, really cool. Um, I would say the beginning of the game was like, I mean, like, I, I still don't like the slowness. I still don't like how you get off your horse where every time you go to the camp and you walk like a snail. It is the worst thing I've ever experienced in a game. <laughs> like, can you run, Arthur? Can you turn? That isn't like a fucking forklift. It, it's just like, come on. And I get it. Like, they want you to hear everything in the camp and they want it to be cinematic because, you know, sometimes people come out and talk to you and you don't want to run into them and stuff like that. Like, I okay, fine, fine, but God, it's the slowest part of the game, and there's some um the beginning stuff is not, I they're building up the characters, I, I feel like it could have been, could have been just a little bit better, but like um in the beginning you just like kind of I I kind of like just hated Dutch, I just kind of hated you don't play a good character right you play like a you play Arthur Arthur's not necessarily a, a good person, and it just it felt weird. And a lot of things start to, like, come to light. 
later on in the game, and I think it's worth it going through that beginning pain. You know, it's one of those games where, oh, it gets good after a few hours. After after 15 <laughs> of them? Yeah, it's like a slow burn. Kind of like... Um, it's fucking I slow. don't want to compare it to Breaking Bad, because all Breaking Bad is good. But, like, um, it's kind of like a Breaking Bad, where it's very, very slow. And you don't understand what's happening, and then, boom! It's mm. an explosion of, like, story. Um, but yeah, I really liked the epilogue too. I don't think I was looking online and some people didn't like it. I actually really liked it a lot. Um, I don't know why. It, it, it's um, seeing that story after some things happen, and it it's kind of like a a proper end. It's kind of a Red Dead trademark at this point, isn't it? Because it happens in Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, if Red Dead's famous for anything, yeah. it's, it's that ending. Mm. Yeah. It's very... I wouldn't say it's similar, but it, it's it's definitely a bit more well done, I think, in 2 than, it's, than in, the, in the first one. And, and mm. 2 goes on for a bit... for a lot longer after kind of... A big turning yeah, it, point in the story, but, but that ending in the first one that like marked the beginning of a new era. Like a lot of story-driven video game endings were just not the same after Red Dead One. You had, uh, mm. I believe, Halo Reach, which which had a kind of a sort of similar ending, released around the same time. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, you kind of yeah. Reach has an ending where you just you can't win. It's a little different to and whoa, so profound. Yeah, yeah. It's uh... two definitely <laughs> leans way more on it on story than the first game did. Yeah, it, it, it it's it's a bit of a, a thing. <laughs> I can't really. I don't want to spoil it for you, George. Just in case you want to play it later on. Oh yeah, I will. I will eventually. <laughs> I'm yeah, thinking about yeah. It, it's something you know? about it. It's not like a little thing. It's, it's yeah. A, it's a long thing. Like I, I don't know how, <laughs> how reliable my eventually is right now. Yeah, and it, it's a long build up, and I almost wanted a little bit more. Almost, it was a weird feeling for me because. I don't know. These times, I don't really. Sometimes these games are just like okay, like okay, it's okay. Look, Spider Man got me happy, and I enjoyed Spider Man. But like this game in a while, like a long burn, it it, it made me happy. And I actually wouldn't mind playing a couple more missions. You know, like if a DLC came out, I don't know. I might have thought about seeing what they did with it. But um, I I think it ended proper. But yeah, yeah, that's that's Red Dead. Now we now we can go to Sekiro. I just wanted to say that before um. <laughs> Before, because like I played like just like to chap the beginning of chapter th- uh, three last time, and I was just like, "Wow, this game is like, this game is hard to to play." <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I mean, when when whenever I do eventually get around to it, you know, you know, we'll we'll probably end <laughs> up bringing it back it. up. Yeah, this game gets good after fifteen hours. <laughs> <laughs> See, like, I realize how discouraging that sounds to the layman, even though I remember playing through Wasteland 2 and Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2 and, like, trying to make the same claims in my own reviews myself. But but when I hear it on my end, I'm just like, oh, gosh, do I really want to endure 15 hours of, of, of slow video gaming? Yeah, I am... Yeah, 
<laughs> I won't complain about it anymore, but yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Sekiro, the auto-aiming bullshit. <laughs> Sekiro, the auto-aiming bullshit game from From Software. Are you liking that, Liam and and George? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're getting into this. Oh, it's going to you be. You love that chain golem? How he like turns mid-air to thrust their his like nice feet into your mouth. I Man, the golem is like go, golem is like the chain. Oh, it's it's an ogre. Let let's get it fucking straight, guys. God damn, it's an ogre to begin with. Also. Chained Ogre, uh, at this point, is kind of like, I wish I could go back and play the, against the Chain Ogre at this point. <laughs> Holy it gets, shit. It's kind of insane, oh boy. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so I can realize at this point in my life that I'm having, at least during sessions one and two, I was having a fundamentally different time playing this game than most people. I can tell. Yes. like, that Chained Golem, or not Golem, ogre. it's an Ogre. God. The Chained Ogre... Like, that's something that I think I was able to read. And mm. and if you don't play the body of, of previous games this one requires of you, it's hard to pick up on cryptic level design language like that. However, if you play it like the other Soulsborne's games, you're going to have a way harder time I, with the combat. I'm so glad we started with the Chain Ogre because I want to kind of throw out there and say that the Chain Ogre is possibly the smartest designed intro boss for a game. There's a mini boss just before him, but you can skip right, pa right past this that guy. Whereas you <laughs> you can't skip past the chain ogre. And the ogre is like from software being like this the skill isn't check. souls. This isn't Dark Souls. It isn't Bloodborne. Dodging and moving won't do shit for See, you. Thing is, with the way I was playing, I didn't even know there was a mini boss on the way to the ogre. That's the beauty of this game. It haven't even clicked with me that these were bosses until I noticed sections where the fog was much more deliberately closed around them. Mm -hmm. Like well, they're, they're bosses, quote unquote. But you can go well, through every names. enemy in this game in a couple hints. Most bosses have mini bosses and bosses have names, but you can sort of tell. By sort of the spectacle, usually bosses yeah. have their gray fog. Yeah. That's traditional. They, they, they have some window dressing, but not like cutscene with a dramatic intro yeah. and a health bar splashed across the bottom of the screen. They have the red dots too. Yeah, they have usually two health bars or something. But like with mini bosses, you can literally just go right past them. With bosses, you get the gray fog that's typical of like from games. But that chain ogre is the, is so fucking smart. It's so smart. It, it teaches you everything you need to know about the game through utter brutality. Oh, boy. I'm getting the popcorn. It's, um, it's insane. Like, it's awful and brilliant at the same time. <laughs> it's a horrible boss fight, yet it, it almost, like, beats you into submission for... This is not a Dark Souls game, and this is not Bloodborne. This is nothing like it. That ogre will grab you if you don't jump over perilous attacks, which is the first thing that's different about this game. Can't jump in Dark Souls or Bloodborne, but you can jump in Sekiro. So it's teaching you to jump. It's teaching you about the new perilous attacks. Then, when you try and dodge, the dude will just fucking come and drop kick you, and he will, like, cover half of the screen. And it's like, okay, so... Dodging is out of the question. 
And then it's like, okay, so what else can I do? Well, I can block. Oh, shit, block, like, almost stops all damage, even heavy attacks. Whereas in Souls, if you try and, like, dodge a heavy attack from a boss, you still take damage. Like, that's what's so cool about Sekiro, is you can dodge any attack from any enemy, bar some. stamina, too. Yeah. It's a lot faster. The game is like, this is not Souls, this is not Bloodborne. This is completely different, and you're going to have to get used to it. And that's why that boss, like, on the first day this came out, like, everybody on Twitter was just like, Oh, fuck, is this shit? It's the hardest game I've ever played! Which, <laughs> which is hilarious. Like, because okay. in hindsight, I understand why. Because people were trying to play it like a Souls game, and it is just literally the opposite. It's so different. It, it, it's I kind weird. of like that it's easy to look at. You know, like I feel like when I, I feel like when I play a Souls game, it's just like, oh boy, you know, you're going through caves and dungeons. Yeah, you and feel just like you don't know what's around the next the corner. Yeah, this yeah, game, yeah. here's the challenge right here in front of you. Yeah, the design is very like, okay, here's a path to the left, here's a path to the right. Even though they do hide stuff very freaking well. I mean, I saw, I found, I found the flame vent in the fire. I was. It was totally by accident. <laughs> the flame barrel. It was. I was just by the fire. I was like, "Oh, this is a nice fire." <laughs> After I like killed everyone in the camp, boom, a flame. But I'm like, "Are you kidding me? Are you fucking okay?" But yeah, and I didn't even know how to get to the top of the castle. If people know what that means, it was out the window <laughs> around the corner. I was. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, but um, I like that. That it's. I'll, it's clear. Yeah. It's, it's it is completely different from a Souls game, I mean, it's, and it's easier to get into as long as you just learn how to parry. Got to learn how to parry and <laughs> keep jumping on people's heads. <laughs> See, that's that's what I still have yet to learn. I'm I'm double so, tap it twice. I'll, I'll, I'll describe my process with with the ogre to kind of sort of visualize how I've been going through this game. I don't think I died. I, I did not start dying at all until the ogre itself, after I died twice. I mean, that's literally like an yeah, hour into the, the game. One. That's not far yeah. into the game. Well, I mean, but if pe- people are complaining it to souls. In souls, I die, like, I look in at that beginning. death screen almost as much as I'm looking at any other screen sometimes. Yeah. So anyways, anyways, okay. Get to the, the, the ogre, die a couple times. Uh, uh, realize they're talking about fire, noticing that the ogre is not reacting to fire. So I think, okay, run away, take a different path, knock out some stuff, end up opening up another area that gets you a flamethrower. Then I come back and the ogre's easy peasy. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. Was the flamethrower that was the the key to the ogre, not dodging and and it's, 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 getting good and doing all the other bosses and stuff. It seems like stealth and and using your items is the way yeah. to to bring the day. Which not is exactly what this game is like. Combat and getting good. Which is what's so great about this game. There are so many viable ways to beat shit. Like you can cheese shit. You can cheese like almost every enemy <laughs> in the game. Until Lady Butterfly. Now I'm stuck. But you can cheese Lady Butterfly. <laughs> How do you choose Lady Butterfly? You dodge and slash. Dodge and slash. She can't handle it. For like three hours last night, I was dodging and slashing and hacking and whacking. There's there's an attack called the (laughs) the Nightjar Slash. It's like an overhead swing. Like, you can literally just keep doing it, and she will literally keep trying to block and trying to attack, but you'll interrupt her attack every time. You just cheese her, literally. And then she brings out the illusions, and you can snap them out of it, and then keep doing it. It's it's so great. There are so many viable ways 
to beat. See, what? You could he, just. You mean I did all that work for no? <laughs> I feel like no, everyone no. else has been doing all this like the the vine confetti thing. I was looking it up, and it's like, oh yeah, use it for this boss. This boss. Oh yeah, like, I, did, I didn't know any of this stuff. I think and that, I, there I, was, those bosses are like optional, like the headless and and the and stuff that, to do with fear is is that the, is souls. That's souls as fuck. Yeah, so there is a lot of stuff that is still like, oh yeah, you have to be wary of poison, you have to be wary of like, uh, fear, you have to be aware of shock, you have to be aware of status effects still and take powders and stuff to deal with that. Also, some enemies can't be hit unless you deal with, you know, making them vulnerable and stuff like that with like Lady Butterfly's boss fight and you need to use the snap seeds. Even though you don't have to use the snap seeds, you can run away and hide behind Wait, where a... Where can I find more of those? Uh, play the game. <laughs> Just keep. Oh, oh, okay. You'll get lucky, and you'll find some. Because well, I mean, for whatever any. it's worth, I I seem I I suspect I might have missed a pass somewhere because I even played it after we chatted last night, and it was either Lady Butterfly or the Headless in the Hole. And no, did you go where I told you to go? Yes, and the the Headless in the Hole is where you told you, me to go. No, it's very hidden. No, I didn't. You have to like search Be every corner. Behind yeah, the. I'll ogre. just take another look. Oh, I know what you mean. No, no, no. You meant to go. Did you beat the general down in the on the ground mm -hmm. before? Yeah, yeah, he was easy peasy compared to Lady Butterfly. And you went right towards the headless area. Yeah, there's no a no. Go straight of across and, and then go down the cliff. Straight across and down the cliffs. Okay. And then you'll see a big giant snake, which you can't miss. Oh yeah, no, totally haven't seen a snake yet. <laughs> 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 that damn snake, I hate it. Yeah, because I was behind, straight ahead behind and down the cliffs, I swear, is the series of past at least to the head. Okay, point is, Headless of the Whole Soulsy as fuck. And this is like, I think the the weirdest thing about this game I'm having like a hard time wrapping my head around is how Soulsy it is in presentation and format, and how not Soulsy it is in like blow-to-blow -blow combat and collision detection. Which is what is so fucking great about this game. It is like the most empowering Souls game. Like, Bloodborne was my favorite out of all of the games, and that was a game that rewarded you for yes. aggression and being. Yeah. Uh, you need yeah. confidence. Being the character and giving you confidence. It was giving the player confidence. It rewarded you for. Uh, you would get health back for attacking, and you always sort of. Smacking yeah. the shit out of dying corpses is a Sekiro reward. is like the perfect balance between the two of those. Aggression sometimes gets you in trouble, but aggression of movement, like the way you move your character, is, is rewarded so much in this game. There are so many. Uh, skills and variations that had to do with either dashing or sliding or um, like like throwing out something and then doing a movement or an attack after it and you'll like warp to a different location and stuff like that. There is so much reward for moving in Sekiro and that is like ingrained into the design where speaking of like interconnected worlds of Dark Souls, like obviously Dark Souls 1 is a masterpiece but Sekiro is a game that is like you can almost cut out half of the game by just going into places you shouldn't be going into, and the game fully is aware of that. It's like, do you know what? It's cool. We gave you this ninja rope thing, and you can like literally double jump up most cliffs. Just go where you want. It's so rewarding in in that sense. Speedruns are going to be fun to watch. Yeah, and then it pulls it back with the combat, and it's like, look, we know you're fast, you're a shinobi, and you're like this really talented and speedy ninja thing, but in the combat, you need like precision, like focus precision, 
we're going to make you sort of balance. It's such an incredible design in the way it works like that. Like the duality of like the patience of a Souls game, but also the aggression of Bloodborne. And I'm not surprised that people who are like hardcore Souls fans are kind of struggling with it because you can't really be passive. Even though most of the time Sekiro you're on the defense, you have to still be active. And that's what's so interesting about this whole game. And oh, it's it's it, actually incredible. That Sekiro, it's good at putting fear into you. When you first fight someone, you're like, oh my god, how am I going to defeat this freaking guy now? Like, what the hell is this? Like, you, you fight some huge dude with a big long sword, and he's just sweeping, and you, you're just like, okay, I can't, I can't do this. Like, I'm dying. And then, like, you, when you put some aggression into it, and you just not fearing and just kind of dodging and staying Smack in front of the them shit and out parrying of and you just beat the it crap still works out of it. You're yeah like, just mash light button it still works and for some reason you beat them you beat them and you're yeah, like okay that was easy yeah <laughs> i know mind. and that's what's so great about it because it's like you don't need anything in this game other than your own lb <laughs> like just your, your own your own elbow grease like you could you could this game is 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 hard it, no doubt. Like, and I'll, I want to get into the sort of discussions that everybody was having about easy modes and accessibility in a little bit. But in regards to how the Souls games work for progression and how Bloodborne works for progression, Sekiro is a game where, from the first minute, if you could warp to the final boss, it would be tough, but you could do it. Because you it, there's nothing that bars you from beating anything because you only ever have one weapon. And the L1 and R1 buttons, and you can do anything. It's so great, like that. It, like it, the prosthetic tools do help, though. Yeah, they they like, help because like the axe, like that has been my my boy. They help you know because saying? player patience. Try, trying to fight shield people without it kind of shows holes in the systems. I feel. Yeah. They, it helps because player patience can't last as long as the health yeah. bars of bosses. But sitting there the whole time, like, and just, like, constantly dodging and parrying and stuff like that, like, and speeding it up by just using an axe to just, like, just freaking wreck their posture is just so it's satisfying. So amazing. And have, have either of you guys, well, I know George won't have yet, but Matt, have you faced the sort of like Voldo looking centipede thing that swipes at you really, really fast? Um, it's, is it coming out one of those things that sit on the floor? <laughs> um, no, the, like, near, like... the, near that area, near that area. It, oh, it not, yeah, 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 yeah. And it slashes at you. You're talking about that, that, the thing that slashes constantly, constantly, Yeah, constantly, constantly. constantly it constantly. doesn't stop. And it doesn't stop. Until you really figure out. Because the, the thing is easy. It is so but, easy. It's easy. But, like, when you first fight it, you're like, oh, okay. So, so there's this boss. It's not much of a spoiler. There's this boss where... It's a mini boss. It, it's it's a mini like boss, this thing so. that crawls on the ground, and it... Repeatedly does combos. It looks over like and over Voldo again, and it destroys your posture. You can't handle two combos of that, and it keeps going. But what you're supposed to do is parry 
each one of those hits, uh, most importantly, the last hit, then he will back up and try to do that. that Perilous um, attack. Undodgeable move. And you're supposed he'll to do a, jump he'll on do, his head. He'll do a perilous attack, which is the swipe version. So with swipe versions, you have to jump and then jump on the enemy's heads. There's like three different types of perilous attacks. One being the forward thrust, which is the Mikiri counter one, where you can Mikiri counter it, which is the most satisfying thing in any video game ever. Let's be real. That B button Mikiri counter, like that's, it doesn't work properly. It does. It's so it doesn't good. Work properly. Oh no, my it's god! Different it's for everybody so else. Good. And like I could not get the timing down for him. So what I did was press the A button twice, and I could just <laughs> jump on his head. Boop. And I and it does the same exact thing, and I could just kill him. Uh, right. It kind of depends how quickly you do it. I, I got, but yeah, you can get away with it. I got an extremely basic question, and that is, how hard was it for you guys to learn the can the kanji attacks? So that's the perilous the attacks. That's, with, that's, with that's what they're called. The perilous attacks. Yeah. 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 So, the, so there are I've, three different types: the thrust, and I noticed it's the, the, slash. the same symbol for all of them, which tripped me out because I was trying to see if there was like a different symbol. But I guess I don't know. I'm wondering, like, if you can read Japanese, does it look more decipherable having these symbols splashed across the screen? No, no. It's the same symbol for all three of them. There are just three different types, like the grab, the swipe uh, on the ground, which you have to jump over, and then the, the forward jump. thrust. So which, they're all very hard to predict which one's going to happen. But there is like, and this is really even like an intricate detail. There is like, there is a different like clang. You know, it goes really. There's like it's a slightly different clang for every for the different versions. Huh. Okay. What about the color? The Are color is the same. It's pink. It's just it's red pink and for pink. all of them. Yeah, for all of them. So you have to okay, watch that's... the animation of the enemy. Some enemies kick up yeah, dust, which yeah, makes it hard to it. see on purpose. But a lot of them are a lot easier. So the swipe attacks are the easiest because they are—they usually have the longest wind-up animation. So you just jump in the air and then jump on the head of the enemy. The thrust ones are the trickiest ones because they're f the fastest. But the Mercury counter deals the most posture, posture damage. Um, and feels amazing when you land. So, so you're supposed to look at their arms to be able to tell if you um, like dodge or jump. Yeah. So whatever their animation it. is, it's like if they're if they're holding whatever the staff or sort of like sort of like they're gonna thrust, then yeah. 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 And then if they um, look like they're gonna do like a sweeping attack, like that really easy boss, then you just jump on its head and deal a shit ton of posture damage. So uh, another another thing I want to get into is actually lauding the combat system. Um, like like Matt was talking about how you were rethinking it, and and mashing the light attack button was something that you were afraid to try but actually worked. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Like they have a system here that that has you chipping away at at energy meters of enemies using light attack, but it's done in a way that conveys the the severity of just one critical strike in the middle of a fight. Yeah. And uh yeah, cause cause like you're you're whacking away at their posture and then going for the one lethal blow versus smacking slices into someone's body who's yeah. still perfectly capable as a fighter up yeah. until they finally hit zero HP. Yeah. And and I really like that system. It um it's it's fantastic that the game offers you up, like, options. You don't have to, like, 
chip down their health. It doesn't matter. You can just get in a death blow by either stealthing or building up the posture, which means you can attack if you want, but if you don't want to, you can just parry away and be more confident in your defense. And then you can, you're still rewarded by being able to hurt the en enemy overall. It's like the amount of options the game gives you in terms of like if you're an aggressive player or you're a defensive player or you're quite well balanced. Adding on top of that all of the different skills you can do with both the prosthetics and also the sword itself and Sekiro himself too. It's like there is just this, there's a combination in there for everybody in some way. And that is like so fucking smart. I, I like the idea. Oh, okay. There's hammering them all. I like the idea of gamifying um, lethal wounds instead of just a straight up HB bar system. Mm. Like Pillars of Eternity does that too, where a character dies after sustaining one or two wounds, and they uh, sustain a wound after an HP meter goes down after a previous like stamina meter goes down. Yeah. The idea being that once they're out of energy and have their guard down, then they start taking hits. And you even saw that like canonically, implicitly implied back when um. Uh, uh, there were the big, big call out for game developers talking about magic tricks and whatnot that they use where the, the designers of Uncharted consider you getting shot with guns to just be decreasing Nathan Drake's luck until finally one bullet happens to hit him. <laughs> like uh, Sekiro's HP system strikes me as, as something that's making conscientious decisions towards rethinking video game violence in ways that present it in a more visually cohesive way, which is something that hit me like a brick wall this gen with Tom Clancy's The Division, where characters shoot at each other for minutes at a time and numbers <laughs> flop out of the wounds. <laughs> having, having systems that, that make it feel... make lethal blows feel brutal and visceral mm. and significant is cool. That's all the end. That, that, there we go. <laughs> Sekiro is just like, you know what? Stabbing a person through the neck and then pulling your katana out the other side is definitely going to fucking kill them. So if you That's get the, the special move you charge for, if not you just get, your basic move. <laughs> if you get the opportunity to do that, then it's going to work. We're not going to be like, oh, now they have 50% HP. We're just going to take off all of their health. And you become a boss to a lot of these characters. It's so movies. good. Yeah, like when you go back into those areas and you hit them once and their pro their imposter <laughs> part goes up halfway and you're like, damn, <laughs> I'm a boss now, son. <laughs> you hit them twice and then you stab them, man, right in front of their friends. <laughs> it's so satisfying. Even though I was stuck at Lady Butterfly, I've gotten to a point now where I do have her combos pretty well memorized for the first phase. Yeah. And it's so satisfying watching me and her just like clank a a couple times and then me mash some buttons that results in her losing like 30% health from the exchange in like a split moment it it, it also gamifies the Akira Kurosawa samurai duels like like two guys it's, just staring at each other until they so both good. finally it's, swipe it's the best sword fighting like I think in any game ever it's so nuanced it's like and also even after like I think I've played like 30 fucking hours of it now and that death blow never gets old. It's so visceral and yeah, so doesn't. amazing and so. And you get iframes, so it's a it's an evasive tool. Yeah, and like not only that, but there are skills that allow you to use the death blow of an enemy to reward you. There's a skill in it that allows you to that you get after a certain boss fight that allows you to use the blood mist 
of your enemy to then disappear so other enemies don't know where you are so then you oh, can use another cool. death blow on the other enemy it's so smart it's so clever that's that's pretty cool yeah, talk to me when you get to this monk at this temple talk to me when you get to that one the the one in the mask no I don't know. I just can't wait to find it's the snake. You guys have been making the game sound sound like fun. The, no, the, the, from where the I'm camera, onwards. the camera. The, I, I, the, oh, I'm talking about you, all the good points, but the camera is yeah, the camera garbage. The, in com- some in some areas, the camera the is small absolute spaces. dog shit. It's dog shit. Like there is one boss that was the boss itself wasn't hard, but the way you fight him <laughs> is a little. It is in a fuck. It's like you know the start of the game, like the underground cavern you're in, George. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you could possibly, you could probably go there now, and uh, if you return back to that hole, uh, there is a there is a swordsman down there who's a mini boss, who you have to fight in that tiny cavern, and he does mm. like literally kung fu hustle flips and shits, mm. and. The camera is the most egregious dog shit thing I have ever... Like, that is the only part of this game that I have been absolutely infuriated by. It is terrible. It is small spaces and when you get in the corner. When you can't... When you don't realize that your character might be on the floor or not blocking. Because sometimes you're pressing the block and you have to, like, reinitiate it. Like yeah. it, it, it's it's a little sticky. I, I I don't know what it is, but I I've now gotten used to just clicking block to make sure that I'm blocking over and over again. Mm. And it's like if what I don't like about the camera is that if an enemy like goes out of the field of view of the camera, it will it will unlock from the yeah. ca- the character you were locked onto. And it won't auto adjust the camera to follow it, which is so annoying. So if you have like a, seeds. Yeah, so if you like finding a boss that just goes off the screen all the time, like in that tiny fucking hole, you can't see him. And then you're trying to readjust the camera while this samurai is trying to literally cut you down. Ugh. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah, that's that's the worst part of the game, I think. Um, yeah, so far. There's, I would say... Um, there's that, and things are not told very well, and that's just souls in general. So I can't yeah. really complain, but like but it's it's pretty I, like I nuts. know what you mean, and it feels weird seeing it here in a game that's supposed to move faster and have more mm-hmm. of a urgent story. Yeah, like like one thing that weirds me out is that I I don't know how well this kind of story and presentation meshes with the Soulsy level design where enemies stand in one spot and look off to the distance. It works when they're zombies, not so much when they're supposed to be living awake human soldiers. Mm-hmm. You mean as in if you they'll wait for you until you finish yeah. talking, waiting, they, waiting, they won't. AI. They won't wait. Finish talking or. Do you mean just like standing if in you ta- their spawn? If, if you're talking to an NPC and you're near an enemy that knows you're there, the enemy it, it will oh. at- it will attack you while you're talking. Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm not talking about that. I'm talking oh, okay. about how they just don't have a lot of um like like wait. routing and and alert states. Yeah. For oh, they're pretty game. fucking dumb. Yeah, like and, is and even looking at them, they look by design, monstrous. I think. 
Right, right. Which which I can buy. I just uh, wish that that it looked like it makes as much sense as the game looks like once there's actually a sword fight going on. It is weird because I initially when I first started playing, I thought sound was a big factor in this. Yet it really isn't. Like you you can throw the like the ceramic plate shit like right next to an enemy's foot and it just won't even budge. It won't even move. And it and it kind of was a bit jarring, but then I was kind of like well, if sound was a factor in a game like this, that's already really hard. This game would be nigh on impossible. Like, you'd be crunching through snow, you'd be, like, running across, like, the tiles of the temples and stuff like that. You'd just be making sound constantly. I'm not surprised that the enemy AI is kind of a little dumbed down, because the idea is to give you the fantasy of being a powerful, sneaky shinobi ninja. Yes, which it, is totally a different fantasy from Souls. Yes. Upgrade, please, people who are playing, upgrade your skills. Upgrade your skills, you have an easier time. Different death yeah. system, too. And upgrade your skills. Yeah, get, get the dash shuriken attack, for starters. Yeah, like, so, I, shuriken attacks, they're, they're good, because... I don't need shurikens unless I'm fighting. Like, I only care about prosthetics that help me during a boss. Literally, oh, man, everything you, else is fine. Have only you used the, the boss spinning? is what I care about. Have you used the spinning shuriken one? Yeah. And like, where you charge it? it Whoa, what? Like, against mini bosses, it's amazing. Like, you charge oh. it, throw it, and then it goes like. And the boss is, like, stunned for, like, a good while. And then you can dash after it, which means you can get, like, three slashes in. For free, and then back off. It's awesome. I think there's right. what is even cooler is that the, there is like a prosthetic that everybody's comfortable with. Like I definitely don't use the axe that much. Oh, I use it a lot. But I use the firecrackers and the shuriken all the time. Oh, I haven't gotten the firecracker tool yet. Whoa, whoa! Yeah, oh, it's in a. Can I tell you? It's a merchant. <laughs> it's a merchant. Buy it. Buy it. It's it's, oh, oh, that? Is it the $500 thing? Well, oh, that's right. It's it's after... No, you, you have no, to no, get it after it's, the chain org, right? No, no, no. No, no, no. You can get it before. It's it's the first merchant of the game. He's above the okay. hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember some firecrackers for sale, but they're too expensive. Oh, you have to oh, buy you, those firecrackers. You climbed up the hill the first time? I didn't do it the first time. I don't know. Okay, this is like another thing I want to want to actually get into is level design because I don't know if I'm feeling it here either. The outskirts, like I got lost in them. I had a hard time figuring out which way was was like forward and backwards. Like, yeah, I'm how turn can the you? Fog go, how is this a complaint from you? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't. I, I, it's like blobby. There, you can literally return to and the last idol at any time. The the same house pasted every now and then. It's it's because the game has because the game. I mean, you're, you're talking about you're talking about a, a game where their mouth moves in the same way for everything, and sometimes they move when they're not talking. Yeah, okay, there's there's like some 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 budget cuts I feel that we might be seeing <laughs> in terms of of the level cuts. design because the Souls games are are built entirely from precarious placements around very very particular ledges and cliffs and here since your character can can 
uh, jump up and, and ninja rope a mile away in a couple seconds from all those hazards. They're placed in a lot more um, um, open environments where there's there's room to to circle straight and fight around. I'm and honestly amazed you think that. I I just don't know if the uh, lack of of hard angles and definitive walls around that place like that's another thing it's a series I'm, of islands floating in the sky that's really intriguing because to me Sekiro is like it has verticality to it which makes it even more memorable I'm having a hard time you even can literally putting together get a, a mental map of, of towers right and now. like scope out the entire area and then you know where everything is there's like landmarks for everything I remember exactly where that merchant is yeah. For some reason. For some there, reason. there is because only... You, you go Sorry, through the man. gate, you then another gate, and then you walk around, you have to curve down to the left and go down, and you're going to see the mortar guy. Before you get to the mortar guy... You Stab the mortar you, guy. You swing up that, that little mountain that you could barely see yeah. to the left. Yeah, you can barely see it. Um, and you, you go all the way up to the top, and you're going to see the merchant right there. Like, that's okay. what I remember of that place. Because... It, for me, it's easier to remember than it is the Souls game. Souls game, it just feels like it's really I'm just weird. Going around yeah, in because circles. they have they have like a built-in mechanic in the game where there are these green and white highlight circles that appear all the time. Like if you pan, I tend to like pan the camera around to see if any of them appear because then I'm like, oh, I can go that way. And yeah, like, no, don't know what it is, but for me, it's gate, the opposite. On the first gate. You can you climb up there to stealth kill the three guards guarding the gate, and like you can you literally can just pan left and it will show you like the highlighted circles which you could climb. I I have an easier time remembering hard right angles and tunnels with memorable corners. Because in, in, the, in the original previous Souls games, like, there will be an encounter placed on a per-corner basis. But you're talking in hindsight. You're, you're, I, I I'm wondering if you felt that way when you first played Souls. And I haven't felt Souls that way dark. in the other areas of Sekiro, just the outskirts. Like, Sekiro the, the is bright. Islands. It, I'm, I'm just really intrigued you feel that way. Like, Sekiro is bright, which helps immediately with being able to scope oh. out your entire area. I have another story. Uh, when you guys go through the Harada estate to find the, the burned uh, uh, matriarch who says, turn around and turn left. Um, uh, yeah, it, don't, don't know how much of this might be just me, but I actually missed him the first time and thought I was supposed to go left through the burning complex into an area of, of, of dangerous health subtracting fire that looked like it could have been safe to walk on. I, I don't remember. I can't defend the game over your stupidity in this case. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But I still, I literally, feel, I feel it's like just the, to the left. <laughs> I, I feel like the 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 visually, the kind of more visually samey and and kind of more geographically blobby design of outskirts might be a little more of an, an objective nitpick. But well, like there's said, three ways to that... get to that point as well. Like I got to that idol before I even saw the guy who told you to go and turn left. Really? That yeah, that's what's that's what I really like about Sekiro. Is you end up in places you you shouldn't be, but the game is like, haha, good job. Here's a reward. It doesn't it doesn't put up invisible walls or anything to stop you from going places. Like I found like Kinda a weird got that pagoda. Vibe from the fog that with the ogre though. 
Well, this is the thing. It's like everywhere. No, <laughs> no. Like in terms of like boss fights. Yeah, it's a, it's a wall, but not totally visible. Like you mean like the the gray matter for bosses? More of an opaque wall than an oh, invisible okay. wall. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Funny Guy over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh like God. I literally just jump in water and and like swim because everything leads to something in this game. Similar to the Souls games, but you know now you can go up. More and things down. lead to your certain death in those. <laughs> Liam, how far are you? Uh, I have uh, in- I have encountered a giant monkey. Oh, the first one. Yeah. Oh, I'm so shit. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're a bit okay. You're a bit back there. I haven't yeah, had chance. I'm, I'm 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 ahead. Okay. <laughs> I've played I, way like, too much. But like, there's uh, this. I can't remember if the monkey. You fight the big armor dude on the bridge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's where the monk, the monk, monkey, monks, and the monkeys are. So, was it totally by accident that he died for you? No, like I'm pretty sure that's how he's meant to die. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's so clever, like, like that. Whoa. Also, like I'm like. Because you, I think there's like an eavesdrop where they talk about him, and it was like ten hours before I actually went that way and found him, and then I was like, "What the fuck? Did I just step into like fucking King Arthur or something? What the fuck?" It, it seems like a Souls boss. Okay, uh, George, <laughs> I, I want you to. Hey, <laughs> it's a mini boss. It's a mini it's boss. A mini it's, boss. It, it's it's funny. It's really funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I. <laughs> I I did play some more uh, Rec Room, George. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Really? Let's not that's, leave Sekiro just yet. Let's not. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I, no, whoa. It just happens all the time. It's like, no, whoa. no. Liam wants to continue to talk. What's whoa, up? whoa. Well, look, we're, like, look, we've got two weeks to sit on this thing. Come on. <laughs> Come on. We're, we're, we're about to hit our 40th minute of Sekiro. So. Come on. Come on, come on. What I what I do quickly want to talk about. I want to gauge your your opinions of this. Mm-hmm. Sekiro with an easy mode or more accessibility. Oh, there we go. Oh, I forgot about that. Right? Um, yeah, me too. Almost actually. So, so there is no easy mode, right? Just to be clear, there is there is no easy mode, right? I okay. I, okay. I I I want to understand what you guys think in terms of like creator intended design Mm -hmm. versus allowing as many people to play as possible without concession i i want to play what the creator designed it for i don't want to but if that is unaffected do you have any issues with there being modifiers that would allow other people to play who who might have difficulty but i don't think the story is strong enough for that I no, feel no, like no, what's no. the point of what's the what's the point? What's the point of that? Huh? Because people still want to see like this game's gorgeous. It has like a varied amount of like locations. Like it it is a great game to watch and go through. Sorry, George, you go ahead. <laughs> uh, my answer is fairly simple, which is sure, but I'll play on normal, but it's not gonna make it worse for me if I play on normal. 
Yeah. If it's so, called normal mode, that I, means I it's the hope. way they want it to be played normally. So that's the one. No, I no, pick. no. This is. I think this is the biggest misunderstanding about this is that I don't think Sekiro needs a easy mode. It doesn't need any mode. A lot of games have dynamic difficulty that the game sort of figures itself out, and Sekiro doesn't need that. Like, and I don't think anybody is really trying to say that. And if they are, they're kind of uh, they're confusing what they actually mean. Like an easy mode in any game, is so incredibly difficult to implement. Mm -hmm. And it is so much more heavy-handed and, and, and fucking takes a heck of a long time to do that. And I don't think From Software need to do that. Like, they just need to make the game as it is. I don't think they need to, but the no. question is, would it make it worse, yes slash no? Yes, I think an easy mode would. Really? This is, the, I think this is what people don't understand. Wouldn't it affect the normal mode? I feel like it, it would. would. It, it, would. It, it would. I think it depends on no, the budget no, and the design implementation no, no, of a no, per no. case it basis. Absolutely would. more of a complex question. Now, an easy mode, an e like a, a very direct, like traditional, like when you're on the title screen, it says easy yeah. mode or normal mode. Like that would, in turn, probably affect the design philosophy and thought that goes into building a game like Dark Souls or Sekiro because you have to make concessions in each difficulty to balance out for the other difficulties like there's a lot that goes into like you know HP averages of enemies how that scales how every you have to balance every weapon and everything in the game it all and and that will affect your overall design like if you're building one static difficulty it's very easy to then build everything around that like the how much weapons deal like and the pacing of the game and all that kind of stuff because everything has to come at you know a sort of more nuanced scale and then having an easy mode on top of that means that you have to balance that out between two different difficulties and sort of it doesn't sit right but what you can do in games like this is you can have like more accessibility options like for example celeste where in the menu before you start a game maybe so it locks in these things so you know maybe you make the concession that if you choose to have these modifiers maybe you do 50% more damage or maybe you do 50% more posture damage or maybe you have a the maximum health Sekiro can have from the beginning something that will make players who are uh, disabled or slower in reactions or generally don't have the time in the world to put into a game like Sekiro or Dark Souls uh, because of life uh, and they don't have the time to quote get good at it they can they can still enjoy the experience and the tenseness of like going through something like this and playing it like you can choose all that stuff maybe before you play the game and it locks in and then the game is kind of like okay you've chosen these this isn't the intended experience but please enjoy uh we're not going to give you the achievements for example yeah. or something See, like that right okay, that thing, is like completely that. different to an easy mode, and that is I don't think that's different than an easy mode. I think an easy mode would be like a compilation of those decisions that could be no. No, 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 contained no. within a grander menu, okay? No, no, that because that's not how games are designed. <laughs> that's not no. how games are designed. Like, oh, no. Designing an easy mode is like designing the game from top to bottom, mm -hmm. whereas adding modifiers is like adding mods on PC. However, have you actually played the easy modes between like the Half-Life games? They didn't give a shit. Like, it's just straight up multiplier, um, 
combined to their previous damage and armor values for the other and are they modes, are they like, bad is it bad yeah, yeah exactly exactly this is literally my well, point it is bad it's bad to do that that's also why i don't think there's like requirements or rules or anything people are allowed to do anything they want and take an easy road out to if they make want. a good okay. game yes to make a good game there are rules which makes it harder to yeah. design and and everyone in the world still played half-life on normal mode and it was fine and life went on and the game's got rave reviews, launched a new digital platform, sold like crazy. They were a mainstream pop culture phenomenon, and they had crappy easy modes and no one cared. Yeah, which is disappointing for the people who maybe wanted to play on easy. Like, you just said it was bad. So this is my point. You don't make an easy mode for a game like Sekiro because it will either be bad or ruin the well, experience of if people. if you did, you'd also be satisfying their demands, so you'd still win. Well, that's not necessary. You can make an easy game that is good. I mean, Yoshi's Crafted World came out and got like eight from IGN, and that's a game that you literally can't die in. So like, there is I, ways to do this and, and that isn't heavy-handed. The optimal way is the accessibility options menu that would include such other options, and why I don't see such a big blurry line between the two are because of some recent examples that are doing a damn good job of this. Stuff like Resident Evil 2 that has its difference between a normal mode and a hardcore mode. I played through the game the first time on a hardcore mode, felt that was the way I was intended to play it, and had a great fun time. On even its easy mode, Resident Evil 2 still conveys a sense of horror that is scary, that... Uh, uh, gets the the evocative thematic goals of the game across, which is why I don't think it would be impossible for a Dark Souls game to have an easy mode that is still a a hard experience. Like if you just uh, did the quick and dirty solution of applying straight up uh, 0.5 multiplier to all the damage and hit values of Dark Souls, where your character can let's say take um, two enemy combos against Ornstein and Smog versus only one before dying, and you're allowed to make one more mistake. Man, if games were that easy, man, it were, if games were that easy to make, like, that would be fine. Yeah, that's why I think it's an issue of budget more than philosophy or ideals. Sekiro is a game that's harder than a game like Resident Evil 2. It also it... doesn't have RE2's budget. Uh, I don't know about that, actually. I mean, Activision oh. published it. Yeah, but there is, the, there is no way Sekiro cost as much to put out as Resident Evil 2. Like, like Resident Evil 2 has photogrammetrically scanned environments with, with these sexy model faces. Yeah, but that's their engine. That's their, that's their assets. Once you've spent the money on building that tool set, it doesn't cost any more money to then iterate on top of I'll it. I'll say, I don't want to take anything from anyone. You know, whoever can't play it or it's not good enough to play it or whatever it is. Um, I don't want to say it's like, oh, get good or whatever and you can't play it. But the thing is, from software games they're like made a certain way and like you beating it it's like yeah you beat dark souls you beat Sekiro, you beat bloodborne did you beat dark souls Matt? like did you beat it like no i beat it on easy mode like nah and i understand that that's a bad way of thinking like other people should play be able to play yeah like so what what does that have to do with you exactly exactly like that's why a game like this Having an easy mode is not a, a good idea and not that simple. So, like, there are there are extremes in both sides of the argument, which are both painting this whole thing as completely black and white. It's like, an easy mode would be fine. Well, no, it, it, it wouldn't necessarily. But also, like, people are like, oh, no, you can't change anything about Sekiro or Dark Souls. You can't have these accessibility options. It would, like, there is a Miyazaki des- design philosophy that is, like, unfallible. It's like that yeah, also I, I don't is wrong. That. 
Yeah, like accessibility is more about what would fit a game like Sekiro. The the test that my brain does here when I hear these arguments is like like Half-Life is the example. If you crank Half-Life Condition Zero, no, nah, that's Counter-Strike. If you crank Half-Life Opposing Force up to hard, it becomes a fucking bullet sponge of impossible enemies. If you play it on easy, it becomes a walk in the park of a lot of one-hit kill headcrabs. And so there's uh, the no in between. between the two is the way it's meant to be played. Yeah, that is the in-between, is, is the normal mode. But I'm, I'm just thinking in my head, like, who had anything taken away from them in, in either of the two extremes that their quick and dirty solution for difficulty balancing well, became? Like, that, that if that's the... <laughs> that doesn't seem like that bad of a solution either. Whoops, we got some some quick and dirty easy modes. Yeah, but that's very static. And, and no one's going to play... It's very static. It's like, well, okay, normal mode is like, well, it's good for George, but easy mode is maybe too easy for you, but it's also too easy for the the players who can't beat normal, but then the players who want like hardcore mode, because normal mode is too is a little too easy for them, but hardcore mode is like next to impossible. Like it's it's very static and it's and it doesn't go feel to the good for some people. Exactly, and, and which is what... some free mods made oh, by fans that extend we, the life of your so product. So we come full circle to what I was saying. Modifiers. <laughs> sure. Modifiers. <laughs> modifiers, like, like in Celeste, that allow you to modify how much health you have by percentage, allow you to modify how much damage you take, allow you to do stuff like give yourself an extra jump. Like, certain modifiers that you can toggle on and off is way more you know, dynamic. come to think of it, the PC versions of the Souls games have always had cheat engine, and the world goes on just exactly, fine. Exactly, exactly. Which is why this shouldn't be as big as a contentious thing as it is, because it, it already exists. Like, yes, you can complain that Sekiro doesn't have an easy mode, but also, and understandably, maybe From Software should think about that, but there are options. But also, complaining about the fact that people want to be able to play a game they can't play is also absolutely ridiculous. Get good. All right, so... Scrub! uh, That was the 50th minute of Sekiro. By the way, George, I played Rec Room, uh, a lot of Rec Room, uh, during the Hey, that's taking it back. How'd how'd you you get a VR set up again? Yeah, I I have enough space for it, and that's great. Um, Hey! Hey! um, Yay! You can actually run around now instead of using the stupid teleporting in ranked matches. I guess you call it ranked oh, matches. Oh, in ranked, yeah, I was about to say, because you, you could previously turn that on earlier, but but in ranked, that's that's good. Yeah, yeah, you could uh, turn it on earlier, but you didn't get any points. You know, now, I remember when I first played Rec Room, I uh, I played some ranked, and um, <laughs> not right. many people said anything, and whenever they did, it was fairly reasonable, like, oh, let's let's uh, take cover, use the blind fire on, on your paintballs. And then I played Rec Room a year and a half later, and it was kids. It was all kids. Yeah. Is it is it, is it kids? Are there kids? Well, Fuck. I, when I usually play <laughs> these God. games, I usually play with friends. So, yeah. I play with three other yeah, dudes. I, even my friends were getting d- interacted with by kids. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. They, they do some weird stuff in the... In the 
in the like lobby, don't they? <laughs> Nothing like like walking out of your dorm room and rec, rec room and seeing a <laughs> old kid just kind of like squirting a water bottle and, and rubbing their virtual reality nipples as their avatar like clips yeah, yeah. their hat into their neck. And hitting like the the confetti gun right near their crotch. Yeah, the the, the confetti. Yeah, that's a real funny and the, one. And the Good guy, job, kids. Yeah, the guy who, who <laughs> that's his name was Jesus great of joke, Nazareth, kids. and he was just like, "Take my blessing, take my blessing, take my blessing." He was going around. Uh, I was like, what <laughs> comedy the? kids at it again? What Woo. the hell, man? Um, yeah, but it's, there's some weird stuff that goes on, um, but that's VR because that's what all the kids see <laughs> online. They they see that they can act like you're on the knuckles and it's okay. Um, but have you guys seen movies the past two weeks? I saw a movie. I've I've been watching television series. Of course. Okay, so I'm gonna be the only one. Um, and Liam, you you watched a movie, which is what Spider Man. You no, Spider- oh, I did watch Spider Man. It was fucking great. Yeah. Uh, no, awesome. but I watched Captain Marvel, same as you. Oh, cool, cool. Okay, so. okay, yes, yes, yes. Both yes, you guys yes, got yes. something. All right, so talk to me. I will crack my knuckles and lean back. Talk to me, Liam. Talk to me, dirty. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> oh God. I I just like oh. I can't go back. I'm actually kind of glad that Endgame is coming, and then I can kind of just forget about Marvel for a while, because I can't deal with this going back to square one shit that happens with, like, either origin movies or, like, movies that happen after Avengers. Like, the scale is just too small. That was what's wrong with the movie? Well, I there is other stuff, but like that's my main issue. I I just can't feel invested because <laughs> I'm just looking forward to all-out war, and you know, I am. I don't think she was cast very well. I don't think she was <sighs> cast very well, and I don't know. I okay. I'm not gonna get all. I'm not gonna get all uh, political is the right word for that. So I'm just, I'm just gonna say, I'm just gonna say like, she, um, she didn't know like where she, what she was doing. She didn't know how to act. She's, she was, she was a scared little alien, and then she was not. She was goofy, and then it, it just, it just didn't come off right. And then everyone else was just funny around her, <laughs> but her, she was just. 20 people in one and it just wasn't she just wasn't good she just wasn't good for i wish they picked someone else <laughs> i wish they picked someone else she it was just i don't know it, for for a person who's supposed to be a huge part in endgame i fear for endgame for myself because <laughs> she she doesn't like how she's gonna be with like big guys like robert downey jr what are they gonna tell her act better like no, she's gonna act the same way she's gonna act. I don't know. It wasn't. It was boring. I'm just gonna say it was. It boring. was. It was kind of boring. I like the kind boring. of buddy cop bits between you know Samuel Jackson and Brie Larson, but yeah, you know, it, it, it was fine. Yeah. It was. It was predictable as as the hell that. Spoilers. <laughs> Jude Law it's was good, the bad guy. That bit when she was talking and whatever. Um. I watched Us. 
See, now that sounds like it'd be a lot better. You watched the three of us? I, I hope we had clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking it's dad. The newest movie by uh, Jordan Peele. And um, it has a ton of plot holes, but it's shot well. It's has great actors. And overall, it's hard not to enjoy the movie. <laughs> it's really good. Um, I will cut you if you spoil it. No, no. It's I. You have a, Have you watched Get Out? I can't believe I haven't. Oh, okay. George is the one who. Yeah, I watched Get Out, but uh, typically us is us is not coming out in Japan. So yeah, I, it's. I have to wait until it comes out on Blu-ray. Oh, you should steal it. Um, I will. Okay, good. <laughs> Gonna wait a long time. Those Blu-ray releases mean that that people can have jobs in stores, man. It's it's not like that out here. Ah, oh, says the dude who doesn't like easy modes. It's a convenience <laughs> problem. When you solve the convenience problem, then you you get more money. That's that's what how, people how do you understand. solve the jobs problem when you finish solving <laughs> the convenience problem. <laughs> If only there um, was like some sort of subscription-based thing that I could give money to. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but none of them have it. Um, just like into the into the Spider Verse, it's like okay, no one has it. What do I do? Um, yeah, couldn't I couldn't I see that watch for it, I six guess. months? Oh, I'm yeah. so glad I saw that movie though. Wow, what a good movie. Uh, um, and since no one's saying, I'm not gonna say much, but um. The acting in it is pretty dope, um, and uh, and I, I think people should give it a give it a shot. Um, depending on what type of movies you like, I guess uh, it's a it's a horror it's a horror uh, film, and it's um it's very like it's very entertaining. That's it. That's all I'm gonna say. That's all I'm gonna say. It's weird. I can't. I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want him to cut me. Man, I don't know. Like, like, what's worse though is like hearing you get real excited about something that you want to talk about, and then just being like, "Yeah, it's it's cool. Don't want to spoil it though." <laughs> or like, or 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 d- death. Like, I don't know what I'd rather endure. You know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's good. All right. Um. That that's if that's if that's for me. I I. I talked enough. I downloaded the Capcom Belt Action Collection, the beat-em-up collection, and I played through their old beat-em-up games on Switch. And I'd never played a game called Armored Warriors before. Safe to say, it's one of the coolest fucking beat-em-ups I've ever played. Just, just, just Google, Google videos of it. It's fucking amazing. It's like modifiable mechs where you beat pieces of other mechs and then add them to your mech and you it's what era capcom beat em up are we talking is this, this uh, is like is 91 a simpsons clone or a x-men clone no this is the, oh this is a little early this is like a final fight clone capcom with a mask see. This shit. it's so good so um are, are you having one of those moments i had where i discovered uh shock troopers on the um Neo Geo collection, and you're just like waving your arms, like, how do people not know about this? I know, this? I know. I, I was playing it, and I'm just like, oh, why? Oh my goodness. The, the, so there's good. a lot of screen shake going on here. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And, and like, the explosions are flickering in and out. Does it, does it, just, that, 
I, I guess it feels good. It looks cool. Oh, it's so good. Like, you just beat pieces off of other robots, and then you take Ooh. those pieces and add them to your robot. So you beat off other robots and yeah. duct tape and then, their skin onto your body. Yeah, and then beat yourself off with, with that, I, that skin, I guess. I don't know. Video games! It's so good! Oh, wow, the face artwork is great, though. I love this, uh, this is this all-American working Joe who showed up at, uh, in, in some beautiful 90s Capcom pixel art portraiture. Anyways, uh... Hey, what is Ainsley Harlot in your, um... Ainsley Harriet, not Harriet. Ainsley Harlot, oh. although I have my suspicions. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, you ch Okay, Liam, you know who Ainsley Harriet is? I know Matt okay. knows who Ainsley Harriet is. Of course yeah, I know boy. who Ainsley Harriet is. He's like, he's like one of Britain's <laughs> finest exports. One of one of Britain's most uh, sauciest chefs. Yeah. Um, this, this television cooking personality who's real big on innuendos. Uh, he has a show on Netflix now called Ainsley Eats the Streets, where he tours around the world, does the Anthony Bourdain kind of thing, where he goes to weird places with weird local guides and eats weird food, but he doesn't have as much balls is 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 anthony bourdain because there's some stuff he won't eat like every other episode it'll cut to him walking in front of a, a food stall where some like miserably poor person is is shoveling together some slop made out of the waste products of of the food for poor people who live on the street and it'll cut to ainsley harriet he'll raise his eyebrows and be like oh they use awful and that and dish i won't eat that uh, I like the fugu fish in the Osaka episode was what he did with that. He he cut over to um the chef who was smoking a cigarette and he said, "Oh, look, that guy's got a, a, a British slang for cigarettes in his mouth. He doesn't look like an expert to me. I don't want to eat his fish." But okay, anyways, besides the point on being like kind of a little mean to some some people making food and just just straight up using airtime to talk about how he doesn't want to eat their food. Uh he has this routine going that strikes me <laughs> is something where Ainsley Harriet is revealing himself to be a pickup artist. A pansexual culinary pickup artist. The show what? will have him sitting around these restaurants, eating street food in foreign countries, where he will suddenly pull out of his pockets an entire cutting board and knife station, and he'll start preparing a side dish to add to the street food. <laughs> like... Like, what? Like, imagine if, if you're walking down the street and you see Ainsley Harriet eating a, a Big Mac, and he just, like, whips up a cutting board and, and is like, Oh, hello there, dear. I didn't see you. I was just preparing a lovely spicy mixture of my garlic horseradish mayo with a fresh lemon spritz on my uh, McDonald's here. Would you, would you like to maybe give my meat a good old rub? <laughs> I'm surprised you think British people say McDonald's. <laughs> He'll pull out his cutting board station and start making up some really sexy side dish on the street, and some onlooker will walk over, and that's how they set up the uh, the, the quote-unquote local guide for the, the streets he's going to. And they'll be like everyone, usually women though, but sometimes they'll be like like some middle-aged man and an older lady. Usually it's 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 some uh, conventionally attractive younger lady, which has me, this is why I, I, I want to say pansexual pickup artist is, is what Ainsley Harriet is taking the role of here. Because he, he doesn't discriminate on anyone so long as they uh, express interest in his, his public display of, of cutting up some side dishes. And the thing is, anyone who would pull out a cutting board and work a side dish up on the street 
is someone who either A, really, really super duper loves food and is just totally into it as their lifestyle passion, which kind of bleeds over into you know like... You Ainsley Harriet is weird, right? Yeah. Think of... This is strange because Ainsley Harriet is like a TV, like... Carlos. He's synonymous with like British TV. Like everybody knows who he is. He He's just always on TV. Like, through the 90s, through the early 2000s, he was always on TV. He's got a good TV personality. He's fun he, to watch. He's... He's very strange. He's a cool guy. It's so weird that I never thought at 20... At 28 years old, I'd be talking about Ainsley Harriet to two Americans thinking, shit, we're gonna get sued by Ainsley Harriet." <laughs> well, no, because it's not a bad thing. I, I mean, I, I know that the word pickup... You're accusing him of being a pansexual pickup artist. The word pickup artist has negative connotations, but it seems to me like Ansley Harriet just wants to take these uh, companions out for a lovely evening, evening, if you will, of, of hedonistic adult fun. <laughs> An evening. <laughs> oh, he does take them out. He doesn't, it doesn't end there. He's going to eat them out when he gets home. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! What? I didn't this... know this was that type of podcast. What's going <laughs> Someone on? who whips up a side dish on the street is either really into eating, yeah, m- maybe even like kitchen logistics. I've known people who are really into that. I've worked with them; they exist. Or B, someone who just really wants to bang. And I don't have the innocence anymore to accept A. <laughs> Pretty sure he's married, but you know he could be doing some eating out. Yeah, some in and out or some eating out. Eating out and in and out. Oh my god! You know the old uh, bangers and mash. Wow, <laughs> this podcast has made it. Yeah. Okay. I, Ainsley Harriet just seems like he has a kind, a suspiciously sexy routine here. Mm, of course, is all I'm trying to, s- to suggest. I, I don't want to say like he's he's breaking hearts out there, but for anybody who doesn't know, he's also 62 years old. <laughs> no way. He does not look it. Wow. I mean, that's cool. Black don't crack, son. Granny creams, hot butter ice cream. We take the hot butter. Mix it with the ice cream. Freeze it up. Cool. You can see it on your screen. Put it in your microwave. Make it real hot like a soup or a dip. We call it heat and sip. Very tasty and healthy too. Granny Cream's hot butter ice cream. Hello, hello. And welcome back to the train wreck. (laughs) To the Ainsley Harriet side dish phenomenon. Let's talk about cocaine. (laughs) So, do you guys have any suspicions if, if Ainsley Harriet might be uh, an indulgent celebrity who, who uses his money to... It sounds like you do. Uh, what? No. I would never do cocaine. <laughs> Wait, wow. Are you saying you want to do cocaine with Ainsley Harriet or you have done cocaine with Ainsley Harriet? I haven't done cocaine nor cocaine with Ainsley Harriet, but if there's a first time, then I guess doing it with Ainsley Harriet might be more fun. Point is, Japanese actor uh... Pierre Taki. Japanese actor Pierre Taki might have done <laughs> cocaine once. And if he did, I hope he did it with Ainsley Harriet, because it had to have been a really expensive <laughs> dosage of cocaine, because goddamn. Um, 
Yeah, the uh, <laughs> Japanese actor who I don't. How major is his role in in Judgment? Uh, I don't think it's. I mean, I think it's like significant. He's like a crime boss, I think, which is ironic. <laughs> yeah, for I, I think he's a crime boss anyway. Uh, for for a game who heavily based most of its marketing on marketing on how many big name actors they were able to squeeze in, it's also ironic that they got hit by a big name actor scandal, which is that. Uh, rich playboy celebrities uh, th- throughout pop culture history tend tend to indulge in things that aren't legal. And in this case, in Japan's case... Nah, you're talking about Japan, though, Yeah, dude. in Japan's case, punishments for suspected cocaine possession in this case are in fucking tense. I think there's something like... Oh, a- dude, it's not cocaine. It's literally anything. If he'd done marijuana, it would be the same... It would be the same reaction. Seven years. Holy shit. It, do you know what Japan's slogan is for drugs? Huh. The, the slogan for drugs, and this is throughout all of Japan, is dame, which is just, no. Just, I, I've, <laughs> it's just I've don't. heard that word before. It's just don't. Dame. It's, it's basically like a forced no. It's like, don't, just don't, just don't even bother. Like literally, don't don't even think about it. It's not. Then they're not warning you that drugs are bad for you, and like they'll they have adverse effects on your health, and you can get into it's just dummy. Don't do it. Like if you do, you pay the consequences. Yeah, consequences of which include getting stamped out from all the projects you're associated with, affecting localization deadlines abroad, other products at home. This is the same voice actor of Olaf in the Japanese dubs for Frozen. So no one's gonna miss him. Yeah, but there were trailers for Kingdom Hearts that got taken offline and re-edited with oh. him out over over suspected cocaine possession. Well, in Japan, it is it is it is you you could probably murder someone and you'd probably get away with it a little easier than doing drugs. Uh. Drugs in Japan is just not a thing. Like, of course, it happens. Is it like with a samurai sword? It went. That was racist, wasn't it? <laughs> That was racist. Yeah, like you sniff cocaine right off the tip. That was so racist. You just get the katana and you put cocaine on the tip and you... <sighs> I, I, we we oh can God. at least talk oh from, from Leon's perspective oh of someone who lives in Japan about whether or not this is the craziest story you've heard about a celebrity getting in tons of trouble for for drug usage. and. No, it's happened before. What's 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 some of the 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 details? Do any 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 stories? Yeah, there, there have been there have been TV actors and stuff like that that have done drugs. Or usually it's one or two things with actors in Japan. It's either you do drugs or you have sex with someone under the age of sixteen. What? Like, yeah, that's this is pretty much what most of like the Japan like it's the cliche Japanese male. Wait, sixteen uh, is okay. Was this R. Kelly land? No, what's going on here? Just like. Uh, well, 16 is also the consensual age in the UK, so it's not that much Whoa. different. You guys can't even drink till 21. You're like little babies over there. When is your drink limit? 18? 18? I didn't know if I, w- I wanted to go there, but but it's not video games. Over in the manga and anime world, the oh, artist behind yeah. You know what Kimchi? Japan likes. Yeah, he um, got in no- trouble for... Confirmed possession of child pornography. Exactly. Guess what? That guy still did. And it was something like a four thousand dollar fine and a year off the job versus this guy who got in trouble <laughs> yeah. for suspected cocaine possession, <laughs> no. who's gotten slapped for the products, and- is fighting a seven year charge, 
and yeah. and drugs is bad in Japan. Yo. That that's it. You can have child pornography, and yet you can still go to work as a manga artist drawing children. Uh, yeah, but if you do drugs, that's it. It's so gross. What? Yeah, the law is messed up it's everywhere. Bad. Okay. You have to take you have to take mandatory drug tests like when you join Japanese companies and and uh, especially if you work for sort of like if you're like an English teacher you have to take regular 6 months uh 6 month drug tests and uh basically if you fail them you immediately get deported. <laughs> I wonder if that's a, a big stimulus for for the medical industry and if that somehow keeps but the thing is the thing is stuff. it happens it still happens like i know quite a number of people in japan who still smoke weed on a regular basis and i was funny story i was literally in a karaoke booth two weeks ago and it was uh, the unsolicited hours of 3 a.m and i went to go get a drink and on my way back I just uh, immediately this smell hit me, and it it's been it's been a long time, but that smell it's been doesn't a week go and away. a half since San Francisco. I remember that smell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's been a couple of years since I've properly smelled that smell, and I just walked past one karaoke room, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Someone's in where, here where they smoking weed. Got to know. And where, I, where they ran, I, I sort of uh, I. Sp- Sprang back to uh, the the room I was in, mm-hmm. uh, with, and a couple of friends in there, and I was like, "Dudes, someone is getting fucking high as a motherfucking cat up in here," and they were like, "No," and we immediately walked out, and it was just like right in your face. It was so strong, <laughs> so strong, and we like sort of like like police hounds sniffed around <laughs> until we found the source, Dude. and we like had a little peek in. And it was Japanese. Really? Young Japanese. It was they young Japanese dudes. <laughs> no, it was young Japanese dudes. And this is the thing, right? 3 a.m. in a karaoke booth in the middle of Kyoto, like only a couple of staff working. Those staff will have never have smelt that smell ever. So do you think they just wouldn't know? Because I was about to ask, like, they just is wouldn't it know. bad enough that they'd get kicked out? They would just be like, someone's eating something funky, for sure. Wow. Like... Like they they just definitely just do ignorance not know. is bliss. Ignorance is bliss, and it's like three a.m. It's like barely anybody's there, and I'm just like, holy shit! I haven't smelled it so strong in so long, and I was just laughing. I was like, damn, kind of jealous. <laughs> I was saying you could just do the vape pens and stuff like that, man. I mean, it's not the same. But... Yeah, not in Japan, man. Not in Japan. Yeah, Japan and drugs. Don't do it. Otherwise, your Olaf career will be over. <laughs> Get Olaf. On, on a sliding scale of depressed rich people, there's this Japanese actor who... I've, I've never heard of, of, of this guy. He seems like, like he's fine. He, he did a drug test some, some day, I'm sure it was a very, very long time ago through some, some very responsible consumption, a, a little bit of cocaine that showed up on the test. And then on the next spot scale up- George already has beef with- There's someone who, who there has been a brief Twitter beef with before. Someone who does face a lot of criticism <laughs> towards the uh, very creative originality 
of, of his blockbuster products. Or potentially having. Um, and that's Randy Pitchford, uh, who announced Borderlands 3 this week, which is good for those fans. <laughs> Can we go in a little bit into how, for those who are unaware, of how... Gearbox and Randy Pitchford announced Borderlands 3. There were some frame rate issues on the video player I heard. Oh. No, it was lit- it was a it was a PAX presentation, like a stage live stage show and like they they announced a couple of other things to do with like Take 2 uh, 2K and like what's going on with Gearbox and there's like Risk of Rain 2 which is cool and there's like some other stuff and then <laughs> then proceeded to happen. I think it was like the forty-minute Randy Pitchford <laughs> show where he did magic tricks. Oh no! Like the girl, like the webcam girl, he likes so much. Wait, what? To his adoring audience, he he was loving it. And then they announced Borderlands Three with the most boring trailer in existence. And and yeah, the frame rate is <laughs> is like, jittering. The, the their laptops couldn't handle the four K presentation. So how does that stuff make it out? What what got confirmed today is the dreaded Epic Store exclusivity deal. For six months, the PC version is going to be on Epic Store only, and I, I, I will admit to a bias here. I'm I'm a patient gamer. I can wait a year for Metro, uh, and this hasn't happened I to mean, a lot of franchises I, I mean, super care about yet. I'm intrigued as to know why people would be more angry about this than they would about PlayStation and Xbox exclusives. Competition is healthy. Because the the the, the value of a license on the Epic Store is, is less than Steam, I guess. Although nowadays that's kind of becoming lopsided as competitive options increase. Well... What are people expecting Epic to do? Just be like, well, we'll just take any old indie game and we'll build up a store. Of course, they're going to go after like the big guns of the industry and try and lure people away from Steam so they can make a real go of it. Like, I, I would assume I don't they'd want a simultaneous really... release with extra features on the Epic Store. I don't know. The whole reason the Epic Store uh... exists is because they don't want to pay Valve's cut. It's not exactly something for the consumer it's more for the company oh, no, but Val, no no but epic will be paying gearbox like hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. for it to be exclusive so it's not only that it's like gearbox not only have epic not only have to like cover gearbox's lost revenue on steam essentially but also like this is going to damage like reputation with valve like for every developer who does this it will sincerely unless they're like you know untouchable developers that oh we're pissed at you but you know we're forgiven like gearbox i don't know i think valve you know probably bigger than gearbox all being told so it's probably going to damage their relationship so like money can kind of cover that a little bit but epic have got to be paying a lot of money for developers to be being swayed and it seems like a lot of developers are being swayed so i imagine it's a lot of money that's being thrown around Mm. and that's just the same as like when PlayStation was like, we're going to snap up all of these exclusives and we're going to pay all of this money for like Bloodborne and stuff like that. Um, it's kind of the same thing. Just people think because it's on a central device, like a, a, a PC, maybe 
it shouldn't be this way, but it's not really mm-hmm. any different. It's still a storefront, like a PSN or an Xbox thing. I mean, it's not... I'm not... Mm. The problem appears when you look at it from the perspective of the consumer. It's extra steps to take, it's extra software to install, it's a less versatile license when there is less cross-platform compatibility between it and Steam. But Steam is, like, if you let Steam have everything, then, you know, the shit show that Steam was in... And that's the conundrum that happens when you look at it from an industry insider perspective, is that Steam's monopoly is not good and needs to be shaken up. And I think, But it's not good for the consumer either, at all. Yeah, I think there's not an easy way to explain why I'm not joining the anger I don't think here. it's particularly good that it, it, we still have exclusives in this day and age anyway, but unfortunately for no. platform holders, like that's how they survive, because that's how you draw people into your business. It's like any other business on the planet. So maybe um, we need to drastically rethink the system in which we incentivize businesses to, to uh, exploit their industries. Well, the... I think that's ultimately the really complicated problem that's going to be highlighting like paradoxes like this. Like, I I don't think this is straight good or bad. It's a paradox of the system that might eventually go away with some some thinking on a lower level. I mean, this is probably not going to go away at all. You're going to have subscription-based stuff that comes out that's all going to have different stuff as well on top of that. And then, you know, it's just going to become more splintered across... So Unless it's strange. a enterprising company uses some innovation to uh, create features that give consumers power and leverage across all these different platforms and stores, and I think that's what's eventually going to happen. The industry will like start adopting cross-platform codes and licenses where buying a game on Steam, or buying a game during the exclusivity period on Epic Store for a boost in sales to Epic would have the code roll over later on for for when you want to play it on Steam and just can't be bothered to install different software and launcher. Like, there's got to be some solution. You will have already had it for the six months of of exclusivity anyway if you bought the game. That's the premium. That's what the Epic exclusivity deal should be providing. The problem is it doesn't work like that from the consumer's point. They can get options elsewhere. The the idea do you buy games on GOG? Not really. GOV? Have you? I have before, yeah. Have you bought games on Origin? I have, yeah. And you can use those codes... Wait. Like, GOG, sometimes you can use the codes on yeah, Steam, right? Yeah, it's a case-by-case basis. Yeah. Depends more on yeah. what store you buy the code from. That Oh, God, now we're, like, getting into the more confusing level of, like, the middleman. Like a, like a G4A code would be redeemable on Steam, but might not be redeemable on Uplay. Like, it's complicated. It needs to not be complicated, is, is what, what I'd like to see the end result of these deals being. Well, ultimately, it's not really complicated. Right now, you can only buy Borderlands 3 in one oh, place. God, That's as uncomplicated as it gets. It also isn't out yet. It's it's more complicated having more stores and more options for Matt, where are you? I'm I'm here. I'm here, friend. Do oh, you I, see a problem uh, with this, Matt? Am I am I alone in this? Do, do, do you do you see the problems in this, Matt? Okay, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> Hello. Hey. 
Hey, hey so, okay. Uh, the 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 pitch of of Epic Store exclusivity for um, Epic's advertising purposes would be talking about how you can buy the game before you can on Steam. When everyone knows it, they would have had a simultaneously simultaneous launch. But and, what does that? What good does that? The do vacuum Epic? of a market from a year ago. It 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 yeah. It stifles competition. It gives them a worse deal. And I think in the short term, I thought you consumers... were all for like not giving one company all the power. Sure. But Valve will have all of the power. They did, and well, they, kind they of They were like... both bad for consumers and bad for developers. It's interesting how this conversation has developed, because if you scroll down, you see that 30% is in... From a, from a comment in the Kotaku article, a commenter saying 30% is an insane royalty rate, and they only got away with it because there wasn't an alternative. Now there is. When I remember back in 2004, when Valve was launching Steam, 30% was considered an insanely good rate, and that it was going to make a lot of games exist that would not be able to get box distribution deals oh, yeah, at yeah, all, yeah, and that's that totally true. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you still don't improve. That's being, like, settling. Yeah, that's people never had to give up a lot to uh, adopt digital distribution as a mainstream normal way of buying games. And ideally, offsetting the price of box distribution and printed discs It's kind of like arguing the that the supermarket you always go to that is kind of shitty and, and like, doesn't have very good, you know, like, doesn't have very good office then a new supermarket opens up that is a little better and it's like not... complaining complaining about that being open yeah because you would have had three hundred dollars worth of permanently existing always refilling you had, you had groceries a, a, in one of the stores it's not the same card. uh no a public <laughs> rewards card at Publix, like, and you had all these points buy... that you use at Publix, but Kroger opened up, and you're like, man, Kroger has all this stuff over there, and Publix doesn't right now. If they gave but you a if, ticket like, to take an orange out of the machine, there, you know what I'm saying? The vegan if they cheese. gave you a cheese ticket, you wouldn't want to walk over to the other one. The businesses don't work the same. They're like working with post-scarcity, with artificial scarcity on their supply side, but the regular old mechanics of supply and demand on, on, on their demand side. But they're also giving you, like, free stuff, you know? They, I mean, what? I, I don't Origin did. I don't know if Epic gives away free stuff yet. Yeah, Epic gives a free game out every oh, month, that's right? right. Yeah, and they're usually a good yeah. one. Right, right. Yeah. Subnautica was one of they, those. They, like, let's be honest. They're not exactly doing this the bad way. Well, they're also <laughs> they're, they're... selling your data to Chinese hackers. Well, what have Valve been doing? <laughs> what else Neither is of them are great, and people are going to have to suffer until the industry figures all this bullshit out, because there's got to be a better way. And I, I can't imagine I this think being like sustainable I, if it's not found. I, could, I completely agree with you on that. I'm just intrigued as to why people are more angry about this than they are about the exclusivity on platform. Oh, yeah, well, I would assume that, that's that, because... That really intrigues me. It's like, oh, Bloodborne is on PS4. Well, P I PC just gaming nurtures oh, an right. environment of exclusivity and elitism because it's, it's expensive and hard to get into and you spend a lot of but time a lot in a of room games by yourself on the internet. Unless exclu in, uh, exclusivity was a thing. Yeah. Like the new God of War, Somehow the new I don't think Borderlands 3 is a great example, though. <laughs> 
that's no, because Borderlands Three obviously exists. It, yeah, no, it's intriguing keep... because it's it's a weird thing where exclusivity means that money gets thrown at people to make stuff that wouldn't necessarily be greenlit. Yeah, unless under the condition of exclusivity. I so think... there's a lot of games that people don't realize. For example, like Bloodborne and stuff like that that just wouldn't exist. Or they would not be in the forms they are because usually platform exclusives get a lot of money thrown at them. Um, that 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 reminds me of of your Stadia exclusive last week. Like like you you are working for a company that is building a game off of Stadia exclusive features. What Epic Store exclusive features could Borderlands Three possibly be built from the ground up for? Nothing. I think it's just the, that's a case another reason of money. why <laughs> this doesn't represent a very high value purchase for consumers picking and choosing between their competing marketplaces here. Well, that's the thing is it doesn't it doesn't matter all, uh, other than installing a new storefront to the consumer. It is of no change. That's still a big click, like uh, in. In a lot of internet marketing terms, there's this saying that the, there's there's two costs on the internet, free and not free. And just asking yeah. people to like take out their credit cards to send over one cent for a purchase versus yeah. a free one is a big step for, for attracting consumers. And that's that's the step that rep- represents um, installing the be, Epic Store. I'd be intrigued to know like how many accounts there are already for the Epic Store. Like, I don't... I have no idea, but I would be intrigued to know if it's in the millions already. I I suppose a year to a year and a half from now, they'll have to release numbers if they're publicly traded, which I think they are. Um, They're just majority held by Tencent. And then we'll know if these exclusivity deals are actually working out for Epic in the short term. My suspect is no, it'll be a longer-term thing. Their strategy will make a lot more sense when they've had a year and a half for consumers to say no to the bullshit and start seeing value in the good shit. Well, this is the thing. When Valve started with Steam, all they could offer was their own games. And And then people were kind of getting fucked over for it in a way. Like, it was seen as DRM. It was widely unpopular. Exactly, but it worked out for them. So, it is not surprising that Epic are doing stuff like this. They offered something cheaper and more convenient than the alternative, and I think that's what someone's going to have to figure out eventually to make all these stores play nicer. It's intriguing because, obviously, with Epic, all, uh, right now you would download it and you'd be like, okay, I can buy Borderlands and I can also get a free game because I made an account. So, it is strange. Um... Let's let's move on. We 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 were on that one for a while. Yeah. It's a it's it's an intriguing uh, thing that's happening because Epic seemed to be very uh, aggressive, very very active. Let's put it. Uh, uh, so explain this to me, Notch. Yeah, Notch has not been active over the uh, past few years. Matt, do you know where Minecraft came from? From from the game developer named Notch. The moon. The moon. The moon, Matt. It was the moon. When a man and a woman love each other very much, a stork, a <laughs> magical stork, creates Minecraft from nothing. Was it the sun? Was the sun the dad? I'm assuming the moon was the, the woman. Should I assume the, the, the moon was a, a guy? Are you talking about the sun or the dad or the sun? Oh, yeah, so... um. <laughs> A, a, a Minecraft update rolled out uh, that includes, among various features, 
Uh, disinclusion of mentions of Notch from the title screen splash screens. You guys remember those? So uh, it'll say in the upper right corner, like, made from 0% gluten, with, with text, like, zooming in and out. This is like a product feature kind of bubble. Sometimes they'll say things like, made from Notch, or brought to you by Notch. And they've taken those out. Notch is still in the credits, but I guess I guess they want to avoid the the untimely brand associations that come from, from concerned parents Googling who this Notch is playing this Minecraft game that their kids love so much. Because let's see what happens. Notch. Google. Uh, Scroll down a bit. Minecraft creator Notch under fire for transphobic tweets. Wow. Gay star news. That was just like four results down. Wow. He's, he's not been his best self for many, many years now. Yeah. Yeah. What, what ha- okay. All right. I haven't been following Notch. So oh boy. explain that to me. Um, very, very <laughs> condensed layman's version. Notch I think, got... I think he's kind of gone crazy. A lot of money... Right. From from it changes the, people both from Minecraft becoming successful in itself, and then especially from um, the Microsoft buyout. Uh, and in addition to that, he's gone through a lot of personal troubles over the previous few years. One of which involves a divorce. In addition to that, he's gone through a lot of major news scandals back few years ago, um, I, I remember things starting looking a little fishy around the time he outbid Jay-Z for a, a house outside L.A. that was valued in the untold millions of dollars. Um, since then, he's become t- kind of a, a, a Twitter um, um, shit-stirrer. Uh, uh, what, what do you call a personality? I don't know if I want to call Notch an influencer, but he's tweeting about how the QAnon conspiracy theory is legit, which I believe is the string of allegations that led to someone shooting up the roof of the Comet Pizza Parlor restaurant in Washington, D.C., because 4chan internet rumors had um, susceptible, gullible people believing it was a ring for, for child sex trafficking. And uh, he's definitely on the internet. A little too much these days, to put it bluntly. What 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 is what is this tweet? Notch says you're absolutely evil, evil if you want to encourage delusion. What happened to not stigmatizing mental illness? Oh, he's talking about trans people. Oh God! That they need to be stigmatized <laughs> for it. As the, 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 like he thinks he's helping them by being brutally honest and saying they have mental illnesses. Oh, no. Not realizing that he's just insulting them and being transphobic. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people use the word brutal honesty when they just kind of want to say their quick assumptions they haven't really fully researched into the science behind of. Anyways, um, <laughs> I want I want to know. They probably kept him in the credits because there is probably somewhere in the like rights deal that he sold to Microsoft that. He is still credited yeah. no, legally somewhere. I, so they've probably just done the bare minimum they can. I am of the opinion he should be. Like, it's a completely accurate statement, preserving it for future historians. Like, people need to know Notch made Minecraft. Like, Notch, people need to know so that Notch can become a cautionary tale for the future. Yeah, but you've got to remember that, you know, Minecraft is used by millions of children. Children, yeah, which which I bet fuels them wanting to take it off of the front page at least. Well, it's not, yeah, it's like, oh, who's the guy? Let's Google him. Oh, he's this guy. Oh, he made a game that I love. Now it's time to be like this. I mean, 
Kids are very smart these days. I, you know, do. I doubt that all of them are just going to turn into some like evil, transphobic, you know, monsters. I don't know if you if you really liked Minecraft and you were like ten years old and you found on Twitter the guy who made your favorite game. Like if Shigeru Miyamoto was like, oh no, I really fucking hate people who are not the sex they were assigned when they were born. And and then you were like. Oh my god, I love Miyamoto. Maybe he's right. Smiley video game Japanese toy maker magic man Shigeru Miyamoto <laughs> t- tweets, quote, fuck all the cats, kids. Just, just fuck them. Just go have sex with your cats, kids. Quote. <laughs> Imagine the headlines. Timmy, Timmy, what are you doing? God, he thank fucking God Miyamoto has not gotten in trouble for this shit. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Eminem made me do it. <laughs> Notch made me do it. Oh, my God. Violet Video Games made me do it. Because someone well, told me on the internet they made me do it. <laughs> point is, talking about... The, the 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 fun, silly, ironic, edgy humor sources for internet humor that can become a genuinely destructive force in someone's life and other people's life. Like that's a line where where blood has been spilled at this point, and I don't mm-hmm. even I don't even know anymore if it's like too spicy to talk about Notch being bad at Twitter. It's unfortunately it, as innocent as an offhanded comment on Twitter can seem. It is at the point where there the internet is a tool for certain people to use to influence other people to believe in their bullshit and it can be mm. and it can get real fucking and nasty. and I don't believe it's the straight cause I believe that it's uh, some some latent psychological issues that are being manifested by the of cause course. I but it's the same as like America's gun laws like obviously thinking about making sure that gun law buying guns is harder for people who have registered mental illnesses and stuff like that it's kind of it's kind of the same just if it's easy to get hold of and those people are already in some capacity unable to make judgments about right. stuff right i i actually i tough. watched the netflix documentary on the flat earth movement uh, uh behind the curve and a a thread that you saw with a lot of the people they interview who are big parts in the movement is that they have they have quirks like they have an extremely obsessive interest in not necessarily disproving what they initially want to debunk but more more like an extreme case of confirmation bias plus some kind of childhood gullibility plus an extreme isolation on the internet that has them genuinely ignorant and uninformed as to how the professional world works how much fact checking and peer review there is in the academic and scientific communities that make a lot of the research that informs modern assumptions of the status quo they they don't know the processes behind it and they assume it's a conspiracy because to be fair questioning authorities is is a big part of our culture what we're supposed to be doing anyway it's complicated but also not yeah it's a complicated problem that has manifested in very simple morally binary examples of of not great behavior uh many of which has been exhibited by notch i mean i just saw a tweet where he said that people should get shot and and die he he calls them a cunt if they don't believe in celebrating straight pride 365 days of the year like who the fuck how did how does that make sense and who gives a fuck and also this is your professional brand of like 
your product and you're worth billions of dollars to the kids. Yeah. yeah. People with money always tend to mess up. <laughs> I don't know why. It's a good thing we're poor then, Matt, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a good thing. <laughs> was that a, was that, well, I was supposed to clap the air too. No, that was high a high five. five to you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> high five for being right, poor. So we, we should uh, do some quick questions. I'll save the longest one for the last one. <laughs> Let's speed this train up. I am tired. <laughs> I worked 13 hours today. We got three questions from listeners this week. And uh, first one is in from Eric B. Eric B. asks... Looking at the top 20 best-selling games of 2018, a majority of them use killing other people as one of its central mechanics. Oh, God, no. <laughs> I'm not one to advocate getting rid of video game violence, but I'm rather curious on whether you think the act of targeting and neutralizing another living being is inherently a good basis for creating fun game mechanics. Let's see, let's see this list here. I'm looking um, at Red Dead Redemption, number one, of course, Call of Duty, Black Ops 4. Then you got NBA, Madden, you know, blah, oh, blah, Oh, yeah, blah. yeah. See, there, there's still sports. There's still sports, which I think is great fodder for the discussion here because I think the concept and the problem ultimately boils down to how easy is it to gamify things that are not violent conflicts. But then you got... And sports do it. Far Cry, God of War, Monster Hunter, Assassin's uh, Creed. Uh, at least in Monster Hunter, you're, you're killing animals as a motto <laughs> i mean you still got the mario kart in fifa but then you have the battlefield 5 you know mm -hmm. call of duty world, world 2 mm -hmm. dragon ball <laughs> Z's. and i uh wonder how different thousands of years of history would have had to look for our collective culture to not jump onto violence and killing as an easily it's, gamifiable conflict yeah it's it's difficult because, like, the core of video game design is that the player has to have a challenge to overcome. And it is hard to make something, like, a challenge that isn't just beating something, I don't know, like, out of existence. Something that doesn't want to get beaten, too. <laughs> killing? Like, you're, you're, the word yeah, you're looking like, for is killing. No, not even that. Just, like, even if you think of, like, Mario, like, mm -hmm. you know kill goombas throw fireballs absolutely it, it, it's like it, the the object is for your progression and for everything else to disappear like it's really hard to think you know maybe games like papers please where the object is to do paperwork good but yeah like not even that just not focus upon beating someone else but, but that's more not appealing like, to the to the, the the mainstream yeah. audience though papers yes. please you know you, you you need something well i don't know that game sold that game sold millions so as Did it? As, there were yeah nice oh yeah nice like three mil i think how many how many it was it was pretty it, but, I, sure but I still <laughs> i still i i still know what you mean it wasn't it wasn't on store shelves across the world yeah 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 yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's not madden yeah, i get yeah, it yeah I yeah get it. it's not Madden. like okay like is it because something is that is something we like or we grew up with you know like watching action movies or is it because it's just fun and there's nothing else to replace it like what is it i would say a lot more of the first than the second mm. yeah and death is inherently a major part of existing yeah <laughs> it is it, strange and it, death is like it, the biggest challenge, isn't it? Really? <laughs> when thinking up rules, like like what what what's gonna spook the player of this immersive world I've put them in? Fucking dying is like a pretty 
a pretty clearly explainable one. Yeah, I, I can't see a world where I don't play an RPG where I upgrade my my person, which is kind of like in real life, you know, upgrading is kind of like getting more money or getting a better job or yeah, something like that. Yeah, and, and games like The Sims exist. And winning. And town builders exist. Yeah. And uh, games that are sandboxes that have a lot of nonviolent mechanics exist, and I will always... Like, you want to talk about, about reviewers having biases and stuff, I will always give more of a look to a game that has pacifist or nonviolent combat options versus standard issue shooter versus, like, standard genre gaming. I guess I'll call them genre games at this point. Genre action games are uh, uh, something that, that I don't know if they'll last, like, an entire century or lifetime like they want to so much as um, we might see games uh, uh, gamify more mundane conflicts throughout life. Like, even Sekiro, I think, is a step in this direction where the combat system is built to fetish the lethality of the sword's blade, um, mm. where, where every single hit doesn't actually represent blade entering flesh. It's, it's uh, gamifying the, the, the more nuance that a sword fight is supposed to have versus attack value and HP value and ending it at that. Like, even something like Undertale... Well, it's, it's strange because, like, like, even in Sekiro, a lot of it is... A lot of stuff in From games kind of feel dehumanized. Like, oh, even yep, in yep, this the game, where they're, very, mon- they're very clearly Japanese, but a lot of it is, like, their faces are quite obscure, they're quite dirty, and it, like... Like, the character models are kind of, like, not crisp. I've noticed that. There is, like, a weird, like, dehumanity to all of it. They, they look monstrous. Yes. There it is a lot more, like, I'm, over, I'm overcoming, like, a monster compared to, like, I'm killing a bunch of Japanese people. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually True wondered that. how differently FromSoft would handle, like, the, the repetition of violence and the... Uh, the, the way they treat death if real people are involved. And nope. Nope, not really. They just still stand in one spot and charge you to their deaths. <laughs> yeah, I want to see more games where the bad guys just straight up run the fuck away. Why doesn't that ever happen? Um, I played a game recently. How? Th- they, they sometimes do. And, like, how much weirder does it feel when, when you're shooting a bad guy who's running away versus well, all that, 100% of, of the video game violence being being self-defense that's that's absurd that is not how how wars in real life work like like you're supposed to be able to surrender according to the geneva convention yeah red dead does that he plays around with that good yeah run away having more options to overcome like traditional obstacles would be better yep but it, it's kind of like a point where same as kind of like TV and movies. It's like we have what sells. Everybody's used to it. Because they grew up on it. And at some point there had and to have it's, been a patient it's zero. it proven to be successful. Yeah, video games. We already have things. Like we already have learnt the lessons. Like, you know, going from like Quake to Doom to Call of Duty. We've learnt the lessons and the nuances of how to get this kind of stuff right. Video games developed yeah. in a Cold War environment where massive amounts of military power were used to bring used to force political stability into a world that was anarchic for a few years 
during the Cold War, there was still a hell of a lot of tension in the air. Like, both from the lessons of our history and the problems that were facing the world at the time, it makes a lot of sense that violence would be the thing humans settle on in terms of how to come up with video game ideas. Well, you say that, but the highest selling game of all time that came out mm-hmm. of, like, yep. Cold War Soviet Russia was Tetris, Tetris. which is, like, a sign that I think there's some kind of human like, like appreciation <laughs> for, for just the stress of managing shapes and stuff that video games could have been tackling onto in some weird alternate universe history. If uh, if the world was a much more peaceful planet than it was, I wonder what video games would have looked like as a result. Because they still would have happened, but uh, have has had human history not been defined by thousands of years of war, I gotta wonder if it would have happened any differently. And it's it's weird because you go back to games like Mario, which very clearly have defeat enemy, you lose a life. But it's kind of only be. be- like Mario's main focus is always run and jump. It's not to defeat enemies. It's to run and jump and platform. But you can't have non-sentient things that move. Like the most, you need objects that move or like things that can get in your way. And it doesn't make sense unless it is something that can move, which is either a animal or a monster or a humanoid type and creature. Humans sometimes need to eat and kill other things to to live and And humans have the most sentient intelligence unless you're notch like you know. So they are ultimately the biggest challenge. So when you make games like if you make a games like Deus Ex and you're trying to outsmart the smartest animal on the planet, if they were just a bunch of dolphins like it'd be pretty easy. So it's hard because Humans are, by nature, the hardest challenge of all. And in games, it makes sense to sort of try and get the player to outsmart that. It's just depending on what type of genre or type of game you're designing. It would be hard to make a shooter without some form of monstrous humanoid thing that would sell, I think. Um, There'd be an absence of challenge, maybe. Um, uh, let's, let's move on to Robert R's question. What's your favorite game that has low review scores? Didn't we have this question already? We've had a few versions of this question. I think a uh, favorite game that we do not remember is one. I, I I always pick the Witcher one, so I'm going to use this basically as an opportunity to come up with a, another one to talk about. Oh, yeah. The, was the Wait, Witcher, the Witcher badly received? What? Uh, the first one is a pretty janky, actually. Let me... Uh, I quite like the I think it's yeah, no, 86 is fine. 81 for the original. Okay, fine. So low eights, whatever. 86 I, is I, fine. <laughs> it's a fucking 90. That's not... He said 60 and below. 60, 60 and, and below. below. All right. Um, let me let me put a timestamp here where I get a tab open. I played... This will have to be back in the day because I don't really play a lot of low-scored um, games nowadays. Um... Because I just don't have the time to, I guess, mess around with something like that. Um, and, and and to be honest, like the low scored games these days are they're kind of low scored for a reason. Anyway. Even even Earth Defense Force is above sixty. I think sixty might be kind of too low of a of a turnoff here, Robert. But I'm I'm gonna see what I find. I mean, I would say like it would have had to have gotten panned. This reminds me of the old um, one up show days when I used to watch these. These um the sh- the show with these guys this bald guy and <laughs> the other few guys and they talk about games and it reminded me of uh, two humans that doesn't and sound I enjoyed different at all huh yeah it doesn't, doesn't. 
It doesn't. Oh, well, shit. Well, they're all white, so. <laughs> As always with these. Oh, these fuck. Damn... My, my alarm's going off. I'll be right back. You can keep going. <laughs> um, too Human, I remember enjoying a bit of it. Obviously, it was like. There's a lot of controversy with that one. But, like, um, Too Human, um, Sacred 2. I think I've mentioned these before because I'm pretty sure we've had this question before. A variation of this question. We just didn't have the score. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure you said Too Human last Too time. Too Human. Um, Sacred 2. And um, what was the other game that was an RPG that was just janky as hell that I've had fun with? Uh, two Worlds is what it was called. I knew it. Two human and two worlds, synonymous with each other. Yeah, they they all came out around, I guess, around the same time ish, probably a year apart from each other. All on Xbox uh, 360. Played them all. Bargain bin stuff. You know, I picked it up. Had some fun with it. Oh yeah, and it's below sixty. Yeah. You know, and that was it. I had some like a lot of fun with Sacred too. A lot of fun. You know, I would pick the dryad and spread the poison all across like the whole desert and level up my character unrealistically fast. Um, definitely breaking the game um, because the poison was spread from an enemy to an enemy to an enemy to an enemy. <laughs> to an enemy and I thought it was the coolest thing. It was so satisfying to see. It's, it's so satisfying. It just spread throughout the whole desert at the near the end of the game and you just leveled up the whole way. Um yeah, and you could play it like New Game Plus, New Game Plus, and then you had a high-level character to go online yeah. with and stuff. And yeah, I'm kind of with you because it is hard these days to play games that come out now that are yeah. scored uh, lower than a 7. Like, I probably just wouldn't touch wouldn't them. Touch so them, yeah. when I think, it is like I have to really think yeah. back. It's it's hard to do a good bad game than it is a good bad movie. Well, I would cheat and I would say God Hand because technically IGN gave that a two out of ten. Damn. God Hand is fucking amazing. What? <gasps> Did Azra's Wrath get lowest hit? Because Azra's Azra's Wrath is also amazing. That's the thing I'm finding is that like all the janky weird games I'm thinking of, like The Witcher, actually scored okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because they're not that. Janky. They're janky compared to the ninety There's, AAA titles. It's probably more positive than there is negative. Yeah. Com- compared to like the trash out there, even the janky stuff is way on a high level. Yeah, Azura's Rest, seventy one. Like going below sixty. That's that's yeah, you rough. You have to go down to a two human level, like trash, like absolute trash. See, like I'm thinking like N sixty four games that I would borrow from mm. friends, like Scars Racing oh, yeah. and Snowboard yes. Kids. And mischief makers, games that really like nostalgia wise for me broken. are fucking like high. <laughs> They're fucking broken. I got I got one that's kind of a cheat. What? Uh Postal Three. Hmm. I never played those games. It fucking I'm, sucks. It's yeah. terrible. It's bad. The reason why it's memorable to me is that it was one of the first like articles I wrote and published and got paid for. But this is your favorite game, though, George. No, it's not. It's my favorite game that has low review score. Like, I I don't hate... I don't like Postal 3. I like the career opportunity it provided. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I know what my favorite game is that got lower than 60, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. I haven't checked, but I, I actually really liked Red Steel. Red Steel, the Wii uh, swordy shooty. The Wii, the Wii Samurai Which shooty I bet game. Still yeah. got better scores than you think it did. No, I think I de- I definitely think it's got to be lower than seven. 
63! Yes! So you're right, but it still wouldn't count for Robert's category. I mean, it's close enough. Right? It's so close! I really like- well, I didn't really like- I enjoyed my time with Red Steel quite a- quite a bit. I'm pretty sure I could find a few that- that back, for sure, because I didn't look at scores back then, I was just playing games. I played a lot of movie games, games, a lot of trash. <laughs> Back in the day. I remember really, really liking Enter the Matrix way more yes. than it had any right <laughs> to be. Yeah. That is definitely that's definitely gonna be lower than a sixty. Yeah, let's but... see, let's see. This is this is kind of fun. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, sixty-two! Oh, for PlayStation 2. <gasps> Damn it, he's beat me by a point. The PC version though has a fifty-eight. That doesn't count. Man, early, like, Bush-era PC ports were so hit or miss. I remember playing uh, Ubisoft's PC port of Devil May Cry 3, and it just had no lighting. Oh, the RE4 Ubisoft port had no lighting either. Anyways, well... well, I like Cruisin'. (laughs) That got a... Cruisin's good, though. Cruisin' got a a, a 25 out of 100. What? Is that, like, some new shitty cell phone version no it's an old one it's an old one dude <laughs> no it's cruising usa the, the arcade game with the hot babes no no this one let's see here here i'll, I'll send the send there's a Metacritic link yeah it was it's on oh this one's on the wii okay that's why i got panned was it like a shitty Wii I, port? It must or be a shitty Wii port because I definitely didn't play it on the Wii. So I got, I, I we, we got one more. <gasps> Matt N asks, if you could have a game set in any <laughs> Pacific part of the world during a certain historical period, what setting would it be and why? I'll let George have up to five answers because I feel like he'll have an aneurysm if he has to narrow it down to one. <laughs> no, fuck you. I'm gonna pick one. Oh wow, I wonder why this question got in. I'm gonna pick one. Uh, to get us started us off with, it also nicely folds into the previous discussion on nonviolent mechanics. I'm wondering why there hasn't been a game that A takes place um, like along the Silk Road of the ancient medieval world, like trade between Asia and Europe, and B why a management like uh, economic sim, like a town builder or something. Uh, taking place in that setting doesn't exist because I imagine there would be a lot of interesting decisions to make and a lot of interesting um, trivia to dive into and a lot of even like interesting conclusions to come to about how cultures develop and and wars are won and lost based on the spice trade. Like that's a really, really fascinating um, aspect to to historical society that, that doesn't get a lot of romanticization for some reason, but the idea of traveling around different parts of the world back when they were culturally distinct and isolated and uh, using using trade of exotic goods to bring bring different people together sounds like a, a great adventure. So, like, in, in India or Turkey or uh, the, the, the eastern Middle East, I guess, for... Um, like, like building a town along those roads and using the trade economy to sustain it would be great fun. Nice. Uh, well, Neo and Sekiro came out, <laughs> so Edo period Japan, I'm kind of already covered. Um, Ooh, and there's so many good options for that, too. I still haven't played Total War Shogun 2. That's a great game. The first one and the second one, both of them fantastic. 
Uh, I don't, I don't really know. We have pretty much, you know, like the 50s, like Fallout is covered, 40s kind of era. We obviously have a lot of World War period stuff. We have quite a lot of Victorian stuff. We have a lot of medieval. We have a lot of Egyptian and that kind of stuff. Have we had anything that maybe it's too recent, but we're getting further away as time's cruel passage continues? We haven't had any '90s based <laughs> video games what? yet. It's always a, it's always '80s. Will Smith on the TV. Oh, Hypnospace yeah. Outlaw guys. Yeah, dude. No, that is that '90s or is that like early 2000s? It's like a parody fantasy world, but but it's like Geo, it's like GeoCities, Netscape Navigator, like like the early crappy okay, internet. Okay, the game. I can dig it. And it's also got yeah, like, nonviolent let's go 90s. combat of like using forum moderation tools and points to to stamp out obstacles. Let's go 90s, where card games mm-hmm. were in their peak, and uh, Pokemon and Game Boys were what it was what, in everybody's what about bags. Persona, based in America, <laughs> it, during the 90s, where, like, after school, you played, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! with your friends in the parking <laughs> lot. Oh, my God. Now and you're talking my language, man. <laughs> talking my language. <laughs> the 90s would be great. <laughs> Because it's always the 80s. Like, that's what... Like, I remember watching Captain Marvel and her landing in a blockbuster and being like, oh, here we fucking go. (laughs) Always the 80s. Yeah, I think... I mean, not only from our generation becoming old and nostalgic, the 90s and and the the early 80s might be really interesting in the future because they're like the glue between people operating in a pre-internet society and people operating in a post-internet society. Like, like those will be very critical transitionary decades in the future. I, I know. Just, I would love sci-fi. Anything to do with sci-fi, but but <laughs> it's an era that has an era that has yet to exist. I know. I know. Historical period. I get it. I like sci-fi. <laughs> I was gonna say, I would love like some regular. I think I, think I can. I think I can Google a list of games. For you, no, man. a regular Joe <laughs> sci-fi, not like I'm oh. in space or something. Like I would love. It's be, be trapped at home working a shitty job. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to, oh, I'm in space. I guess that's what <laughs> cyberpunk is close to. Yeah. It's close to. It's yeah. like uh, human revolu- evolution. Sorry. Revolution. SX <laughs> is, um, <laughs> it's not quite there. It's more like a shooter. Like, I want to see some regular stuff. I want to have some regular conversations with people <laughs> in this, like, future. I'm just a regular, just a regular dude, dude in space. Yeah, a regular dude in space. Obviously, cyberpunk is not going to actually be a regular dude in space, but yeah, it would be cool to see something like a little bit different other than like, I'm a killer. Then, you know, something, mm. something a little bit different. Yeah. See, see, like my option was like just being a traitor versus a, a killer. Yeah. What about a game if you're a Neolithic caveman and you're, you're the game objective is not to hunt mammoth but rather to paint pretty pictures on cave walls fucking god so many good ideas if you just like stop <laughs> no, thinking that's about not a good idea. killing <laughs> no i'm like you only have one color red and you have to try and make as many variations of mammoth vr physics puzzle sandbox game like like interact with various tools in the cave and Is figure out how, oh, no, how no, no, the actual no, no, people no, did no. it. What you could do... No, no, what, no, no. I've thought about this now. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it. Google, get over here. I've got an idea. 
It's it's a it's a cave painting game mm-hmm. where depending on what you paint on the wall, it uses like Google's DeepMind to sort of understand what you painted, and then oh it creates God. alternate. It creates alternate histories based <gasps> on when they discovered oh my God. Like, what was painted on your cave. So, so like if you painted like oh. if you painted like a McDonald's, yeah, <laughs> and, and they were like, what kind of history would that build? I I can't help but wonder if if this might have been an idea influenced by recent proppings up of of the Stadia machine learning features. Like if it could proceed. No, I was thinking more about the Love, Death, and Robots episode history. about alternate. I was thinking about the uh, Love, Death, oh and Robots God. episode uh, <laughs> with alternate his- Hitler history. Like if you painted like, if you painted like YouTube from <laughs> yeah. the inside of. How bad does that fuck <laughs> up 2019? If the cave painters actually just like, how bad was the Crusades <laughs> if they already knew what YouTube was? <laughs> I'm imagining like the, the these these geologists cracking into the Chauveau caves and waving their their lights over these majestically preserved paintings from 30,000 years ago, and one of them's just a dick butt. <laughs> what is what is this? Subscribe to Bunny Hump. <laughs> <laughs> and then the game procedurally generates an alternate human history where where everyone decides that that I don't know eating dirt is great. <laughs> and that's just how human society develops because the cave paintings used slightly different uh, shades of red when when writing subscribe to Bunny Hop on top of a dick butt. Oh my god. It seems in human evolution our penis has got smaller because <laughs> These caveman penises are massive. <laughs> Holy shit. What you're... What you're actually giggling at is a very, very serious thing that you know very serious PhD professors have had to judge. Like, the penis sizes on artifacts to, like, figure out how their society understood sexualization. Wait, wait there's, a pic- there's a picture over here of a caveman making out with a mammoth. It seems we cross-breeded back in the Back in the day, and and but what does what what is YouTube? What what could they possibly have been imagining? Was was YouTube <laughs> the, the 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 local poop god? And it's just storyboarded out like a YouTube poop, <laughs> just in caveman paintings. Oh my god, it's a storyboard of a YouTube. Poop. Okay, I I don't even care <laughs> if this is the last thing I say before I die. Ancient aliens YouTube poop is hilarious. <laughs> Well, Google, call me. Call me in the morning. I I wish I could stay awake and play Sekiro, if I'm honest. (laughs) Send in your questions to dadandsonspodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe us on all of the available platforms, including iTunes, SoundCloud. Don't forget a pimp by SoundCloud. Uh, Are we on anything else? (laughs) Forget. Live journal. Oh, yeah, YouTube. What is SoundCloud? Was was SoundCloud their, their local butt deity?